Who fans, welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And we're at episode 134. 134. One day, I shall come back. Oh dear, we are in trouble, aren't we? I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. I have the advantage of being slightly ahead of you. Sometimes behind you, but normally ahead of you. But the trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. The meteor storm that the sky above us was dancing with light. Purple, green, brilliant, yellow, yes! I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. It's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Just remember who's standing in your way. Look at the eyebrows. These are attack eyebrows. You can take bottle tops off with these. Howdy, howdy do you, who fans? Hope you've all had a cracking week. And that you've managed to do something Doctor Who. Like we've like we've done. Mm. So many, so many Doctor Who stuff. We, we, that's a complete <laughs> lie. We've had a very, well, I don't know about you, mate. I've had a really quiet week. Who was? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those, yeah, one of those weeks where it's, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get this sorted out. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch that. And then when it comes to the crunch, it's, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to bed instead. <laughs> I know. I haven't had a chance to do much at all, actually. I've been sifting through a lot of Doctor Who stuff, though, because we've had this building work done, and I've I've had to clear out the loft, so I've found loads of um, toys up there. <laughs> loads of Daleks up there. There's a whole Dalek invasion going on in our loft. <clears throat> so that's been quite good fun. And, um, yeah, I found, like, the odd little gem that I'd forgotten about. Like, I found this pack of really old, tiny little Cybermen figures. I can't remember what they were called, but... Um, they're sort of static, a bit like sort of early Warcraft, that type, that, you know, and you're oh, yeah. an inch yep. stuff. Found a whole pack of them, which I had when I was about 13. So, nice. yeah, I found a couple of little gems up there. Um, but uh, most of it's new stuff. So there's a lot of three point, what were they? 3.75 inch figures. You know, the horrible ones yeah. that yeah. came out um, a couple of years back when they changed everything for the worst. <laughs> I found a whole box of them up there because they've obviously been relegated to the loft. Um but yeah, okay. apart from that, mate, I've just been kind of sifting through stuff um, <laughs> and trying to hide anything new that comes through the door because I'm supposed to be sort of decluttering. So um, like you, I've been waiting for the Series 1 Steelbook to arrive, thinking, come on, I need to get that in the collection before it's spotted yeah. by the other half. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, we're getting rid of stuff, not buying stuff. <laughs> but um, mine was a bit late. I saw you got yours on Monday, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yes, uh, and I saw a lot of people got on Saturday. I was, I was flicking through the old Facebook and Twitter and seeing loads of pictures of people who'd got it on the, at the weekend. And I was like, oh, God, it looks so good. Where's mine? When's it coming? And then you got yours on Monday and you posted a pic on the Instagram. And I was like, oh, it looks good. Where's mine? Is it coming? Um, and it did arrive yesterday. Um, so not too bad. That's the Tuesday for the benefit of our listeners. So not too bad. Only a day after release. And um I think we can both agree it's absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? It's so it's beautiful. Yeah, it's the, yeah. It's the artwork that that makes it for me with these steel books because um, before before this, I wasn't really fussed about steel books. To be honest with you, I wasn't really into the whole 
collecting thing. I always thought, mm. why, why are people going nuts over steelbooks? It's, uh, yeah. it's exactly the same discs most of the time inside. It's just the case, but that's the whole point. So if you get a, a really nice case with the artwork, and it really, I think the, the, I was really sold on the Spearhead from Space. Oh, I still think that's the best one, actually. I mean, well, yeah. these two together. Yeah. yeah. So when I got that one, I thought, wow, this just looks beautiful. So I think, and I'm, I'm gutted that I didn't get the Series 9 steelbook. Yeah, I'm gutted I didn't buy two of them because I didn't realise how limited that was going to be. And mm. I'm not one of these people to to buy things just to sell for, you know, like people sell them for ridiculous prices. I'm not that type of person. But um, somebody offered me uh, a very nice sum of money just for the outer card this week oh really um i was like um how much i don't know if i should say really because well yeah basically and i was like well i've only got the one and i I wouldn't sell it anyway because it's a nice deal but but yeah they go for really silly money because they were um very limited and Mm -hmm. i don't think people i mean i certainly didn't know when they when it first popped up for pre-order i just assumed (laughs) it'd be like that have you ever seen the series (laughs) five well it's a kind of stick you can kind of call it a steel book if you like oh, i've got it like a, yeah oh, um or is it that, no is it the no, silver it's the one crack. it's oh, the, the crack yeah, from yeah. the uh, series five yeah and um i've got that because i bought it when i got it signed by matt smith because they were doing a signing in hmv so i've got this steel book which quite frankly is uh really bland um <laughs> but it looks all right because it's signed by karen and, and matt but I don't know if I would really call that still, but but technically it is. Um, but yeah, this this series one one that's just come out, the Eccleston series. I mean, you you did an un- unboxing last night on uh, Facebook, didn't you? Did a live vid, yeah, of yeah. unwrapping it, and it it just is a stunning. I mean, it's just one of those things you'll have in your collection, and you won't sort of ever look back at it and think, "No, oh, why did I buy that?" You'll you'll always look at that and think. That is a beauty. That's that awesome. A yeah. Thing to have. Yeah. 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 And there are quite a few people asking as well about series two onwards, whether they were going to have the steelbook mm. treatment and so on. Um, and I've, I've just got to reply with my same answer to so many people that have asked. And that is, I honestly don't know. Mm. It's one of those things with the BBC. You can never sort of guarantee um, or, or rely on that sort of thing. So I would like to say yes the other ones will be coming in the limited edition steelbooks. I, I thought it would be based on, because you know they released the um, just the standard Blu-ray discs yeah. for those other series. I would assume that based on how well they've done, they would then go ahead and give it the whole steelbook thing. But I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean... I think they might base it on how well this one sells, to be honest. I think they'll sort of think, well... You know, how many, what is this in terms of reissue? Is this the fourth time it's come out? Because I think you were saying on the feed last night, it came out in a great big TARDIS box, didn't it? That was the first on DVD. That's right. Then it came yeah. in sort of like the a sort of slimmed down version. Yeah. Um, then they released it as like just a normal DVD box sort of thing, I think, with with the disc in. And then obviously we got the Blu-ray finally in the UK. Yeah. And then we've got this issue. So it has come out quite a few times already. Yeah. But yeah. I think they'll look and see how well has this steelbook sold. And I think it sold quite well. I think it was in the, wasn't it in the top five pre-orders on Amazon? It might have even been number one for a week. I know it was definitely doing quite well when it, it was. was first announced. Yeah. 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 So, it, yeah, it's strange. I mean, I think, it, I think Power of the Daleks has helped the whole Doctor Who steelbook thing oh, as well. Yes, that's another good one, yeah. Yeah, because there was a huge buzz around that mm-hmm. when, when that was announced. And I think that did 
really well. So I think there is definitely a, a market for certainly Doctor Who steelbooks. Mm. It's just, and I hope that the Beeb actually commit to it because it'd be it'd be pretty crap if we got to say uh, series three and they just decided no, we're not going to do any steelbooks anymore. Yeah, you'd have like series four and the specials, just lonely, <laughs> you know, just sitting yeah, there on and a then shelf. You'd have- yeah. Then you'd have series nine, so you'd have one to three, and then the rest you'd have in your collection would be bog standard Blu-ray, and then you'd have your nine. You know, yeah, it wouldn't it, your OCD would just hate it, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. I hope they do. I mean, here's a question for you though: Would you buy? Would you buy all of them, even the series that you're not really that keen on? Would you, if they were doing every one, because presumably they'd be quite spaced out as well, so you'd have time to save up for them. So, let's say with you know you've got series one to four all nice and they're with new these new <laughs> covers and you're thinking oh they look good yeah and you're getting up to five yeah five's a good series yeah and then you get to series six and it's got a picture of river song with an eye patch or something would you would you think <laughs> oh i might might leave that one <laughs> or would mm. you think no i've got to have it because you know or would you just buy the ones you wanted i don't know i think it would be unfair to <laughs> i think it'd be unfair to to slate the bbc about committing to put them all out and then you don't buy mm. them yeah, so true. you know, so I think if yeah, if they're going to put them out, and it also depends on on the on the artwork as well, because that's the like I said, that's for me the thing that mm. that does it for steelbooks for me. So uh, I would say yes. I mean, it would be a tough <laughs> handover of money for series six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. The, the, the other thing as well is these things really are. Um, if if you don't get it, it's very difficult to to get it later. Like we were saying with series mm. nine, if you missed out on the steelbook like I did, the only way for me to get it is to sort of keep my eye on eBay to see if there's one at a reasonable price. But I think they go for quite ex- you know silly money in terms They're of about a ninety quid upwards yeah. or maybe even more. Yeah, they did the series nine steelbook. It sells for a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is just. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so that that would be the thing for me is if I didn't get it, mm. it'd be very difficult to then get it later. If you know, I, I could do it, but it'd mean, and I'm certainly not going to spend any more than what? Mm. How much did this? How much was the series one? Is it twenty five quid? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, came down to twenty five, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I'm absolutely not paying any more than that for series six or seven. So no way, can't imagine it. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you what I do love about it. Actually, just one of the people uh, brought this up in your live feed last night. They were saying. Um, I like the fact it's in like a card sleeve um, because a lot of the steelbooks um, used to have the sort of this sort of piece of paper glued to the back of them, didn't they? So they'd oh, yeah. have like the, yeah. you know, all the special features and all that listed on a piece of card that was sort of had these four very sticky pads, you know, glued to the back of the steelbook. So they always looked lovely when they were sealed and then you'd open them and this sort of, you'd have to peel this card off and it'd leave glue all over the back of it and mm-hmm. you'd have to wipe that off and then you'd have this bit of card that wouldn't fit inside and, you know, that always bugged me about the steelbook because I think, oh, it looks, it looks so much better left sealed but obviously I don't want to leave it sealed because otherwise, no, you know, you want to open it up and, in, and enjoy it. But the good thing about the spearhead one and this one is that they they're in a sort of card pocket, and I think, yeah, that's see, such a simple way of remedying that little, you know, and they they still look really nice when you've opened them, don't they? they don't yeah. doesn't sort of ruin ruin the packaging. So as long as they continue doing that, because um, what's the other dot two ones we've had? I don't think they've all done that. Power did, didn't it? I think Power had the pocket. It did. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's much better. Yeah. So hopefully they'll do them in them if they do them. Yeah, 
Uh, mm. The other question popped up last night as well on the on the live stream about the TV movie mm. and if that would get the steelbook treatment. And my answer to that one is I wouldn't buy it unless they did a, a proper a proper remaster and a re Mm-mm. sort of a rescan into HD properly. Um, because at the, yeah, because the Blu-ray is just an upscale from the DVD master yeah. for the TV movie. So if they rescanned it um, a decent res and done a, a, a remaster and did that as a steelbook, then absolutely. But I think I might skip on the steelbook if it was just another upscale. So mm. I don't know. Depends, what- depends how good the um, artwork is on it. I'd probably buy it because I must admit I'm one of those fans that actually really enjoys the, the TV movie. So I'd probably buy it because I quite like it. Um, as long as it had decent artwork, yeah, I think I'd I'd give in and get it. I know what you mean about the upscale though, mate. It is, um, I suppose it's because you always think, well, how much more effort is it to actually do it properly? Is it, It's a cost thing, isn't it? So It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do know what you mean about that. Yeah, and it, it, content from that time period can look really good as well. Um, mm. I mentioned well, look last, at Spearhead. Well, Spe- well, that was filmed on proper film stock, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I said last night that Spearhead could get a 4K release because there's more than enough um, resolution in that film stock to do a 4K mm-hmm. if they really wanted to. Um, but some of the stuff that was filmed around that time, if the one thing that keeps coming into my head when I think about the TV movie is Star Trek, the next generation. Mm, yeah. If you look at that kind of, that time period, American TV stuff, when you look at it, when it was broadcast, it did look a bit fuzzy and a bit mm. um, sort of blurry and soft. But if you look at the Blu-ray, but I think, have you got that, the Blu-ray box set of the next generation or have you not? No, no, I've only got the, the original series. The original, I was going to say, yeah, because you're a Trekkie, aren't mm. you? Yeah, um, well, but, sort of. <laughs> but the, the next generation, the Blu-ray box set that they released of that, that was a that was a decent mm. transfer, and that looks really good on Blu-ray. Mm. I'm just thinking yeah. of the Prisoner series, actually, mate, uh, which was done in the '60s. Um, gosh, that looks incredible on Blu-ray. I mean, that um, yeah, it would have been filmed. Yeah, I'm sure it's '60s. Yeah, I mean that that looks incredible, and I'm thinking if they can do that with that TV series, you know, and like you said, the, the, especially the American because it's a different format, isn't it? Different yeah. lines or whatever. And the problem is sometimes when it gets upscaled is it it kind of almost enhances the defects a lot of the time. So Absolutely. you get like a sharper yep. picture, but you also get to see all the faults in the picture as well. So yep. it's a bit, I guess it's a difficult thing to get right because, you know, all the sort of um, pixelation and, and hiss and fuzz shows up the more they sharpen it, doesn't it? Um, That's right. So I guess, yep. it's, uh, I guess it's difficult for them to, to get, it, get it right. But yeah. I don't know. I'd still buy it, I think. I'd still buy it. <laughs> I'd still, still buy, buy it. the movie. I'd just have to have it, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just a money thing. It's just the, it's, the money yeah. for the studio to get it done. Mm. Talking we, of lovely yeah. things, um, something else you were showcasing last night, which caught my eye, oh, yeah. which seems to have come out of nowhere. And like suddenly I've seen a few people posting pictures of this and you've got it. Is this Vorp Vorp magazine. Oh, yeah. Now, what is this? Because hmm. I've never heard of this before, and and uh, you've you've got it, and my friend posted pictures of it, and it looks really nice. But where has this popped up from, and what is it? Because <laughs> I'm like, wow, I feel like I've missed something. Yeah, this is kind of a um, a, a stealth mode release, <laughs> um, because this is issue number three now, and I'll be totally honest with you, maybe to the disgust of some of our listeners, but I've never heard of this before 
Yeah, but nor have I. I just like, what is this? And yeah. it's essentially um, like a bumper sort of fan-made magazine. Right. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, mate. It has got so much stuff in it. So, that, you know, when you flick through the Doctor Who magazine. Yeah. And it's got maybe five or six pages of an article. Then you get a couple of pages of ads. Then yeah. you've got like a one-page feature. Then you've got some... This has got like... I suppose it's the equivalent of buying like five issues of the Doctor Who magazine crammed mm. into one thing. and it's It looks ju- really thick. It it's huge. It's like yeah. a graphic novel. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it's like. Um, and they've got a couple of special edition covers and that sort of thing. And it's basically just full up of interviews and uh, articles on re- like the real um, sort of people that you wouldn't really expect or wouldn't so in Doctor Who magazine, they always do interviews with like the cast members and quite high profile people like the Moff and, mm. and you know, people that you've seen the name um, kicked around in Who. Um, but that this is full of people. I mean, they do interviews and articles on uh, comic strips that appeared in a newspaper in 1960 odd. Oh, uh, right. And they do an interview <laughs> with like the artist that's done some of the work um, yeah. uh, on like a comic strip. And now he's doing work on Rivers of London for uh, Aronovich oh, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just full of like, and it's also got comic strips that have been unreleased yet. And honestly, mate, and it's got a really good interview with Alan Moore. So if you're into comics and stuff and you've, you know, anything about comics and Alan Moore is one of the best comic writers, you know, mm. in the past 20 years. And he goes into a lot of the work that he did on the Doctor Who stuff from back in the day. Um so it's it's really good, and I totally see where you're coming from because before I saw a bunch of people tweet to say, "Oh, I've had my Vorp magazine delivered, and it's beautiful," and blah blah blah. Mm. And I'm like, "What is this? What is this magazine? What is this when witchcraft?" You were, <laughs> when you were flicking through it on the live stream last night, my eyes were just getting bigger and bigger every time you <laughs> went to. I was like, "What is this? It's like some new, you know, <laughs> glistening thing in the back." I was like, "God, I got to get it." Um, but I, yeah, I mean, is this? So this is fan made, yeah. And you heard, is that where you heard about it? Twitter. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I saw. Um, I love the bit. It's a great picture of Tom Baker on the back. Gareth yeah. just showed me. I mean, I've never even seen that picture before. No. It looks like it could looks like possibly one that a fan's taken at a signing. Or it's a great picture. Yeah. It's a, it, uh, and that's the thing about this. As I, I've only read like the first sort of twenty twenty five pages, but already, like, there's just so much in here. Um. What's, what's the cd that comes of it so the cd is it's um an audio story called the mechanical planet which i've not listened to yet um but it's yeah it's like a big finish style thing but it's mm-hmm. just made by different people but um i don't know if my ocd can start from issue three because where when did this like when does it come out is it monthly or is it just when they're ready to publish or well here's the thing know? i have no idea so i went no. onto the website um, because I, I, I ordered it and thought, well, I don't know, I'll order it and see what it's like. And you do have to to pay a little bit for it. Mm. So this was £15. But if you think about it, how much is Doctor Who magazine? Is it a fiver? Fiver now, yeah. Yeah. So this is basically just two issues worth of Who magazine, but you're getting like at least five, six issues worth of content. You know, equivalent, and I think the packaging's a fiver. 
Um, well, I might just have to pop round and slip that in my little geek's handbag <laughs> when I'm around your house. Hi, Gary. Just pop round for a cuppa. <laughs> yeah. You've got that magazine. You turn around and your, your sea devil's missing, your harrop sea devil's missing. <laughs> Where's that sea devil? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does look good, though. Yeah. And good. the audio CD. So there was a comic book or a comic book strip that was quite popular, apparently, in whatever magazine or newspaper. And one of the stories was called The Mechanical Planet. So what these guys have done is they've made an adaptation of that into an audio play. Ah, oh, right, right. So, yeah, I've not listened to it yet, but it looks quite good. But, yeah, apparently it just – but that's the thing, though, that exactly the same as you. I was like, what is this thing? Mm. Where has it come from? Because I just saw, like, in one day, like, 20 tweets with people posting pics saying, my Vorp Vorp has arrived, and it's beautiful. So, yeah, get hold of it, mate. And this is – they do a few covers. The They did a limited edition – um, cover which has sold out. They sold out pretty quick. But they've got this one, which is cover number two. Yeah. And then they've got cover number one, which is like a comic book style. It looks very much like the Titan style um, comic book stuff. But yeah, if you haven't got it yet, I would highly recommend. I must get it. Yes. Um, uh, but one last thing, yeah, and maybe somebody can help us out with this, is when I went onto the website, I couldn't find any way to order any back issues. So I don't know oh. how you get hold of issues one and two. I really don't know. Maybe um, I'll reach out to those guys and see if they have any uh, a way yeah. of ordering them more. Might have to be good old flea bay. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what did someone call it the other day? I loved it. I was tweeting about eBay and the ridiculous prices. Um, Evil Bay. They said, oh, have you tried Evil Bay? Evil yeah. Bay. <laughs> and I liked that. <laughs> Evil Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Because yeah. the last time I sold anything on eBay, I thought, yes, I'm in the money. And then like three days later, eBay's like, well, you owe us like, you know. I, that's ch- just happened to me. Crazy, yeah. I just got a bill from them um, <laughs> yeah. like two days ago. And it was like, because it seems like they, instead of doing it each one, they, they seem to now sort of do it by the month. Yeah. So they yeah. add up all the little <laughs> all the little fees together and then give you a great big lump sum bill. Yeah, I got that. I was like, what's this bill from eBay? <laughs> yeah, that's depressing. Swines. Yeah, yeah. it is because you just think, well, that's... So what I've just sold has actually just paid for your bills, <laughs> the bill. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've not been up to much other than that. Um, oh, I must mention, um, after we finished um, recording, so I think yesterday, yesterday, last week mm-hmm. when we were recording, you said, oh, I just want to pick up on something we spoke about the week before, and that was the theme park. Oh, yeah, the Dot2 theme park. Yes. Yeah. And after the show went out last Friday, our good friend, um, uh, Martin Bad Wilf um, sent me a link um, to this article on the um, uh, at Metro, and uh, apparently the theme park is still on track. Is it? Oh, right. Okay. Yes, and I got a bit more detail on it. So it's actually going to be called the Paramount Theme Park. Mm, that so sounds American. Paramount. So it does. Yeah, and mm. I think that's kind of the motive behind it. So, um, so at Disney world or disney yeah it's disney world in florida isn't it um yeah that's next door to universal studios and all that stuff isn't it yeah and so i think paramount doesn't have like a big theme park that i'm aware of or a big presence at a theme park so what they want to do is they want to make their own one which will rival things like universal studios and disneyland and so on um but it's not going to be in the u.s because in Florida and all those other places over there, it's very crowded. You know, if you yeah. want, if you want to, if you want to build a theme park, 
you're up against some stiff competition mm. over there. So they're going to build it. It's called Paramount London, um, but it's going to be near Dartford in Kent. Mm. So it's not too far from London, I suppose. Um, and it's on track for 2022. So we've got a oh, few wow. years yet. Um, yeah. uh, however, it is going to feature all the stuff that we spoke about before. So it will have um, Doctor Who because the BBC are ploughing a load of money into it um, as well as um, Ardman Animation. So the guys that make Wallace and Gromit, oh, all those really? guys. Yeah. So oh. there's a lot of money going into it. I think um, it's going to be like three billion pounds or something, wow. uh, which is a big old investment. And um, I'll, link, I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got like photos of like the models of what it's going to look like and some concept artwork and so on. Um, but yeah, just wanted to follow up just to, to let you know that it is happening. So I think work is going to start in 2019. Um, or yeah, 2019 is when the work is going to actually start or well, the construction. Mm. And it's going to be another few years after that. So 2022. Wow. That actually it. sounds pretty exciting, actually. It does mm. actually sound pretty decent. I knew Martin would know. You know, when we mentioned it on the podcast every week, I thought, I bet Martin knows. Good old bad wolf. Bad Will, sorry. Yeah, he's got his fingers in some pies. He does, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) thanks, Martin. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And uh, and you can tell that it's it's kind of the the wheels are in motion as well because whenever you mention public transport, you know, that needs a lot of planning. So they're they're speaking to all the sort of the railway networks in the south to work out how they're going to get people in and, in and out of the park from London and all that stuff. Okay. And there's also talk about doing, um, as part of your, um, you know, as part of like an enhanced or upgraded ticket, you can get a boat from the Thames in London and that will take you there as well. So oh, wow. I don't know how that's going to work, but there yeah. we go. But yeah, I 20, mean, if, yeah. 2022? 2022. Oh, we'll have flying cars by then. Yeah, you'll be hovering around. <laughs> yeah, we hover, hover, hoverboards by then. We'll be floating over to it, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it does look awesome. It does look really good. And a good thing is it's going to be here in the UK at last. Something yeah, big, something. you know, and um, uh, based on the film and TV industry, it's going to be here. So that's good news. Excellent. That yeah. does sound good. Yeah. So thank you, Martin, for that. And I reckon we should land the TARDIS. Let's land the TARDIS. Do some news. <laughs> They're a bit of news. So fairly light on news this week. Um, we've got one piece of news which links into the news that we spoke about last week, which was uh, the Series 10 opener um, titled The Pilot. Uh, still, it's, yeah, still, still not enamoured with that title, I've got to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's getting the cinema treatment down in New Zealand. Oh. So to accompany um, our friends in the US and our friends in Australia, um, the New Zealand guys will also be getting a, um, uh, a cinema uh, treatment as well. So I don't know how you feel about this. We've there's still no word on a um, on a UK cinema <laughs> outing. So we're only a sure. couple of weeks away, aren't we? As well, I was thinking this the other day. We're like, what are we? Three weeks away from the start date? Is it? We must be. Yeah. What is well? It's, it's coming up to the end of March. Like so yeah, it must be three weeks. Something it's like that. Rocking around. So we've had no, nothing about anything going on over here. Um, no. I want to ask you actually. Have you seen 
the trailer, the Doctor Who trailer, since it aired in between the football match? I have. You have? Yes. On TV, I mean. Oh, not on TV, no. 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 I was sort of sat thinking the other day, I was thinking, where's all, where's the buzz gone? Because, you know, like, we were, we were like, when the trailer aired the other week, and we are like, oh, it's all happening now. You know, we've got the trailer. <laughs> and, it's, and it just feels like, to me, it's as if everything's just suddenly gone really quiet again. So I haven't seen the trailer on TV since, since that, yeah, that's that a good point. transmission, like, yeah. or, or even like any cut down versions. I suppose, I don't know, I suppose you've still got a couple of weeks, but normally they're doing some little things by now, aren't they? Saying, coming soon, Doctor Who. You know, no, normally there's something going on on our TV to let us know it's coming. So it m- must start soon. I mean, I'm sure it's only a couple of weeks away. 15th, isn't it? 15th. The 15th, of, yeah. I mean... Eight. I'll be honest with you, I don't really watch much TV no. these days, like, you know, the old the terrestrial channels, one to five, whatever. I don't really watch that much, I only sort of record what I want to watch and yeah. and consume when it's convenient. But yeah, you're right. I haven't seen any any even sometimes they do a little cut down version, like a ten second. Or they do like version. a little five second thing, don't you know, with their twirly BBC One thing, yeah, like one yeah. little clip saying "coming soon, Doctor" or something. I haven't seen any of that yet. It just felt like such a big buzz, yeah. And then there's nothing again. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? It's like they don't want to sort of create the buzz and then ride the wave all the way to yeah. the start of it. They just want to create the buzz and then go home. It does feel <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's like, well, we've done our bit. Now it's over to over to you. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, Maybe it has, we just haven't seen it. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I mentioned on the podcast, and just um, somebody out there will let us know. Um, but yeah, it, again, no cinema screening over here. And also, I've got this there's this thing going on at the IMAX that I'm going to, which is a Series 10 discussion with more details to be announced. And I'm thinking, okay, so that must be only two and a bit weeks away from now. And yeah. they still haven't like announced because we were like, me and some of the other guys who got tickets for it, um, you know, are thinking, well, is it going to be a premiere of the actual episode? Because the IMAX is pretty huge, so it seems strange they just hire it for a couple of little clips hmm. and, a, and a chat with, um, I can't remember who's there, because they haven't announced it all yet, but we're thinking, it says cast members, so we're thinking Pearl will be there and possibly Peter and right. maybe Matt, and I'm pretty sure the moth will be there because he's <laughs> doing something at the BFI up the road the same day, so, you know, but again, it's still like saying to be announced, and we're thinking, well, it's only two weeks away, what are we actually, what have we bought tickets for? Because we're all hoping that it's going to be a premiere of the first episode, but <laughs> we haven't been told yet. You can, and but it, hope. Do, it does seem it does seem weird. It's as if somebody's gone on, ho- you know, as if they've gone on holiday, and thought, oh, we'll sort that out when we get back. <laughs> and it's like, come on, guys, the show's on in a in a minute. <laughs> Pull got your finger out. What's going on? Have you got that DVD yet? <laughs> yeah. To put in the player, yeah. these guys want to see it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got Ridges of the Moth still writing it. You know, he's always behind. He's, he's always behind schedule. I bet he's just there, to, you know, frantically writing the final, <laughs> just trying to get it finished. Oh. Oh, I don't know. It just it does seem like you you summed it up perfectly. It seems like the massive buzz, and then they've just let the the wave <laughs> go down to a little light, shallow pool, and it's like, no, where's the? <laughs> come on, keep it going. Yeah, <laughs> keep the momentum no. going. Yeah, yeah, momentum go. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Anyway, but back to the story. Yeah, our New Zealand friends anyway. At least you guys know what's going on. You're getting a, a premiere, so that's cool. Yeah, on the 16th of April. Mm. Uh, and I also heard as well that the US guys, when you get your cinema 
um, outing, which I think, um, memory escapes me now, what date you're getting it. I think you're getting it on um, the 17th. So um, you're getting it on Monday the 17th and Wednesday the 19th of April. Uh, You guys um, are actually getting the class um, uh, episode one in with it as well. Oh, bad luck, guys. Yeah, so as well as um, the pilot, (laughs) you know, the Series 10 opener, um, you're also getting some behind-the-scenes bonus stuff um, Mm. uh, featuring Pearl Mackey called Becoming the Companion. Oh, right. So that might be quite cool. So you guys have actually got quite a good evening in the US. Mm. Um, And I'm not sure if our Australian friends, Australian friends, are going to get the same. Nothing's been announced for that, but certainly in America, you're going to get some extra stuff. So, yeah, cinema outings are uh, all the rage for Series 10, apart from the UK. <laughs> apart from the UK. Yes. Yeah. Because hmm. um, I think they've done it in, they've they've done one in previous years. They've at least done one in Cardiff, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, so there's been no word about that either. They did one for so, Deep Breath, didn't they? Yeah. Um, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, there we go. And that's all the news we've got. So, mm. uh, should we let um, should we let our Dalek friend in and see what he's got for us? Yeah, see what he's got. Match corner, match corner, match corner. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. Books can't get books. enough books. Blimmin' books. <laughs> So, a new book, another new Doctor Who book, is on the cards for May, called A Brief History of the Time Lords. And it's an illustrated secret history of the oldest and most powerful civilization in the universe, the Time Lords of Gallifrey. As if you didn't know. Yeah. What do you reckon on this? Um, well, I don't know. It doesn't really, I mean, I do love my books. You know, I love to buy my books. Reading them is another matter, but I do love to buy them and put them on the shelf and occasionally dust them off and look at them. Um, <laughs> don't know. This one's not really grabbing me, really. It seems a bit, don't know. doesn't seem very exciting to me. I'm not really, I mean, I like the Time Lords, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> don't know. Hmm. I'm not really bothered about the history, to be honest with you. But I don't know. could be good. I'd, I'd probably... I'd need to see some of these illustrations inside, see if the pictures are nice. <laughs> I yeah. might buy it for the pictures. Yeah. No, I don't know, mate. It is. I must admit, when I saw this come up, it didn't. Um, it wasn't like some of the books where I'm like, right, definitely getting that. Like, uh, we got three new Twelfth Doctor books coming out soon, haven't we? And we were saying about the covers recently, and mm-hmm. they look really nice. And so immediately when I saw them, I was like, yeah, I'll be getting those. This one, I don't know, just doesn't really grab me, to be honest. But it could be really good. I'll have to wait and see yeah. and, uh, when I have a look through it. What about you? Do you like the look of it? No. Oh, no. right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's out in hardback first, and I'm never too sure with hardback books. Mm. Um, I mean the size. I mean, I don't know. If it's going to be a fairly smallish thing, then... I'm not sure, but you can get some decent sized hardback books, um, which go into a lot of detail. It depends on how big it is as well and the price and so on. Um, So how much is it? Let me just uh, find out. It's going to be 12 quid. Okay. Well, that's not a bad price. Not too bad. Um, Just to give you a little bit more of a 
an insight as to what the book will be about. Uh, it says, um, uh, the Time Lords uh, are an immensely civilized and powerful race, yet we, d- we know very little about them, uh, save that they can live forever barring accidents, and possess secrets of space and time travel. Their history has been shrouded in myth and mystery until now. Mm. So I think that that's kind of not really correct already because we do know a lot about Gallifrey and the Time Lords. Mm. So, yeah, it just goes on to say um, uh, uh, the Time Lords unlocks the secret. This, this book unlocks the secret of the ancient legendary alien race, a civilization that inflicted some of its most notorious renegades and criminals on the universe, but it was also the benevolent power that rid the cosmos of its most fearsome enemies. Drawn from their ancient records of Gallifrey and from legends and stories handed down from generation to generation, this remarkable book reveals the Time Lords in all their guises, pioneers and power-mad conspirators, time travellers and tyrants, creators and destroyers. Uh, it might be all right. I mean, who's written it? Um, Steve Tribe. Don't name. No, doesn't, doesn't don't mean, mean anything. Well. No. no. Illustrated by Richard Williams. No, I mean, I don't know. It could be good. I mean, there is an old saying, isn't there? Don't never judge a book by its cover. Um, so who knows? It could be great. I'm thinking back to, do you remember when that, that book, what was it called? Doctor Who Hooniverse, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Yep. It had like a really bland cover. Mm. And it just had, like, it was grey with the confession dial in the middle of it. That's right. And that was it. And it looked really boring. And I was like, oh, dear. You know, let's talk about scraping the bottom of the barrel. And actually, it turned out to be a really beautiful book. I mm. mean, it was ages. Uh, it came out and I did, and didn't even think twice. Of it. You know, I didn't think about buying it at all. Mm. And then I picked it up in an actual bookshop when I could actually physically look through it. And was amazed. I was like, "This book's beautiful. Why did I? Why did I not even consider it?" So I don't know. Maybe this will be the same. I'm thinking Who Graphica as well. Do you remember when that? Oh, that's was cool. That we were like, yeah. Well, "Yeah, it's a yeah. great little book." But mm. again, when it was announced, we were like, "Oh dear." But I don't know. <laughs> this one's not grabbing me. But maybe it'll be a, a a Who Graphica and be really good when we see it. But I don't know. Who not knows? not that bothered by it at the minute. But we'll see. So if you are bothered by it, it's out in May. You said the 18th of May is scheduled for. Yes. Um, and it's, yep. yeah, it's not too expensive. So, yeah. But maybe, moving on to the other merch news, maybe you'd rather save your money <laughs> and buy yourself <laughs> some nice ceramic plates. Oh, God. <laughs> because um, our friends at Hot Topic, which are an American company, um, are releasing some eight inch ceramic plates so you get a set of four and they feature it says they're perfect for hosting a dinner party can you imagine serving these <laughs> uh, it features uh, the design of the exploding tardis from um well it's vincent and the doctor isn't it or is it no is it vincent and the doctor or is it the one where river scrolls out the picture of the tardis or the flames and you guys out there will know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the exploding TARDIS in the Van Gogh style. Yes. Um, yep. Basically printed onto a plate. And it looks to me as if all four plates are identical. So it's the one design on four plates. And it says in the middle of the plate, there's there are more wonders in the universe. And that's it. Correct. So if you fancy eating your dinner off of that, um, these are coming out or are they already out? Not sure. They're coming out soon, I think, um, from hottopic.com. 
They're out now. Yeah, they're out now. Yeah. Um, they work out it's about thirty dollars, um, which, thanks to good old Brexit, is about fifty pounds. No, it's about thirty pounds, isn't it? So yeah. dollars about the same as a pound now, isn't it? Um, plus so, yeah. the shipping. Yep. Oh, plus the shipping. Yeah. 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 Now, to be fair, I mean, I don't know. Some of you guys are there. I don't know. <laughs> being a bit negative with the old merch today, but some of you guys there might think these look great. But um, I don't think I'm going to be serving up a dinner on these anytime soon. I don't know about you, Gary. Um, no, I'd buy them Although, to smash them against the wall. <laughs> we could have a like a um, what is it? What's that? Um, oh, you know when people throw plates at dinner parties. Oh, the ritual. Greek. Um, yeah, uh, you know the Greek uh, tradition. Tradition, that's the word. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do that. I'll have a nice bottle of red wine, have a meal, and then get the music going. A bit of um, Paddy Kingsland or uh, <laughs> Tristan Carey. Hey, start smashing these on the floor. That'd yeah. be fun. They would be. I mean, they are. I think they'd be quite comical. I guess if I come around your house. And you surprise me by, as a sort of, maybe I couldn't see it under all the food you've given me. And then as, as I slowly eat it, it reveals this plate. I think I would find that quite funny, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. They, they do look bloody awful, though. Let's not beat around the bush. They look <laughs> no. bloody awful. And the font's horrible. And yeah, it's just not a nice. They don't look like official. They, I mean, these are officially licensed as well. Like they don't yeah, look it. Yeah, no. No. Um, you can also get the matching bowls as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, so if you, um, yeah, if you, uh, they do a six inch ceramic bowl. Yeah. Um, and the outside doesn't look too bad. It's just in the, uh, it's just in the standard sort of TARDIS blue color with the logo. And then it's got some rubbish written on the outside, but it's got the same pattern on the inside. It's just, yeah, they don't look very good at all. No, <laughs> I should have checked with you before we did the uh, before we recorded this, just to make sure you hadn't bought them. Imagine if I'd have um, just <laughs> slayed them into the ground like that, and you were just like behind you, you're just about to reveal you've bought the whole set, just like slowly pushing them away from the picture, <laughs> yeah. out of shot. Yeah, um, and also just to confirm, um, these come in two different sizes, the plates anyway, so you oh. can get the eight inch plate. Or you can get the ten-inch version. So the the eight-inch plate is like more of a, I don't know what you'd use it for. And then you have got the ten-inch version, which is a proper dinner plate size, I suppose. Um, it's a little bit more. It's like just under forty dollars for the ten-inch set. That just reminds me of Alan Partridge having the twelve-inch plate, where he's like, oh, I've got this one sussed. Oh, got big, yeah, got the big plate. When he's living at the travel lodge, yeah. whatever it is. Yep. Getting his most out of the buffet. Yeah, I prefer yeah. a ten-inch plate myself, Lynn. I can... <laughs> Uh, so yes if you want to adorn your kitchen and dinner parties with some who then yeah it's probably worth buying some paper plates and drawing your own stuff on with sharpies or something you get a better better reaction I think. some crayons <laughs> and that's gonna do for much yeah uh, i reckon we should move on to our review this week so adam <laughs> what are we going to be reviewing this week on the show <laughs> that's really good and you've got the eyebrows as well which is excellent um <laughs> well it can only be uh the fourth doctor uh story the sun makers where are we we're still in the solar system the ninth planet pluto's a lifeless rock it is like earth it's all wrong it should be like earth he created a new environment for them here on Terra. magnificent six suns to be fueled and serviced. The taxes, I can't pay the taxes. Taxes are the primary consideration to These taxes, they are like sacrifices to tribal gods. Paying taxes more. Then the people should rise up 
and slaughter their oppressors. Steam to death. Steam to death. It sounds quite nice. Yeah. Bit of a sauna thing going on. Mm-hmm. Right, the Sunmakers then. Uh, this was released in uh, from November to December in 1977. Oh. It was written by Robert Holmes mm. and directed by Pennant Roberts. Um, overseen by Gareth Williams. And it is um, a yes, four-parter. The good old classic format. Yeah. Four-parter, 25 minutes long. And, yes, what do you make of this one? Oh, you're not going to give a... I was waiting for you to do the whole story in that voice of, they're the plot is... I can't do it. Oh, God, I think it might annoy everyone after about... Go on, go on, do a little synopsis (laughs) in his voice. So the synopsis of this episode is... (laughs) The Doctor and Leela, they arrive on the planet. So Pluto (laughs) is overrun by a a very... um, uh, money greedy um, little creature um, called the collector. Um, uh, he, by way of the company, quote unquote, um, praise be the company, praise be the company, uh, has um, basically um, created and maintains these false suns that orbits Pluto, and only a select few people of the planet are allowed to bask in such glory. Uh, the rest of the planet is basically under oppression where they work, 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 work for little to no money, uh, paying um, exorbitant tax rates. And it all sort of culminates in um, the people uprising, going in for a big old revolution. The Doctor and Leela are helping at various points. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the, the evil corporation, the evil company gets overthrown uh, towards the end. And everyone's happy. Literally overthrown. There was one scene in this where I was thinking, I really, really wish I was watching this with Gary right now. And I bet you know which one it is. Where I was absolutely laughing Where you, so I bet hard. you were absolutely cracking up, <laughs> yeah, weren't you? <laughs> when he gets thrown off the roof. I would love to have been, I'd love to have seen you at that point. I, I, I knew ah, it. I, yeah. I bet Gary is killing himself right now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you'd be laughing. <laughs> oh dear! It's the fact he's so pompous as well. <laughs> yeah, Gary's gone. He's gone, oh, John. I knew you'd love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh crikey it is, it is so funny isn't it it's so funny <laughs> it shouldn't be though it's quite horrible really but it's just the way it's done <laughs> it's like how can we get rid of this villain oh uh. just throw him off the roof <laughs> in his big hat uh, uh, we'll come on to that scene because um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 
Yeah. Oh man. So, so anyway, the Sunmakers. Um, I've got to be honest. When you put this on the schedule, my heart sank. Yeah. Um, because I was thinking, yeah, you got a couple of good ones. So we're getting to this, and I thought, oh no, not the Sunmakers. Because <laughs> the last time I put this on, I switched it off after about. Oh, I think I made it to two episodes, and I was like, I can't. Oh, this is just boring me, rigid. I, I I never finished it. Um. But here's the thing. This is the good thing about the podcast because I've had to watch it from start to finish. Yeah. I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, I saw it in a totally, I'm, and I'm absolutely shocked because I was, I was really dreading having to watch this all the way through. I, I just really, I don't know. I actually got quite into it. I'm, I was really, really surprised that I finished it and thought, blimey. That's so much better than I was expecting. It's, it's not by any means a classic. Let's mm. not let's not go too crazy. Yeah. But um, but mate, I, I I just yeah, I'm just shocked. I really really thought I was gonna be sat there twiddling my thumbs. Um, it's yeah, there's a lot more to it than I'd I'd realise. You know that this it's actually a really witty script for a start. Mm. There's, there's yeah. lots of bits which cracked me up. Um, bits like the roof, which shouldn't be funny, but are. Um, but there's lots of lovely lines in the script as well. And I think when I watched this before, I sort of zoned out so much I wasn't really paying attention to any of that. So I just found it really really dull. Um, but if you actually watch it and listen to the dialogue and what's going on, it's, it's actually a pretty sharp script uh, for mm-hmm. the main part. Yeah. Um, it's just that it's not, it doesn't reach classic status because it's just not particularly interesting some of the time. Yeah. And it's yeah. very wordy. It's a very wordy um, story. So, yeah, um, I thought I was going to be coming into this absolutely slaying it i'll be honest with you i just in my memory and, and as i said i switched off i thought it was just going to be awful but i've really done a bit of a 360 on it i still don't think it's a classic but um definitely better than i remembered and i love it when that happens that's why i love doing this podcast because it forces me to re-watch things and uh-huh. um and i would now I, I now actually quite like this story okay um yep. yeah whereas before <laughs> i honestly don't think i would have ever watched this again um i just yeah I just, as I said, switched it off. I was done with it. It just didn't do anything for me before. But um, it's gone from that to being a story I actually really quite like. So, yeah, um, done a bit of a 360 on this one. Um, what about you, mate? Because you've presumably seen it a couple of times now. Yeah, so I, like you, the first time I watched it, I was generally quite bored. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, it was, um, although I thought there were certain, some good moments in it. Um, that's all it was. It was just... Um, like a couple of good little moments in each episode. Mm. Um, but when I watched it again, I think I watched it, um, some of it on, I think I watched the first two episodes on, on Monday and the other two yesterday. And uh, it's a bit of a tug, well, it's a bit of a tug of war for me really, because um, it, it's got, like you said, it's got a really good script. The script is quite sharp and mm. it's quite clever. And you sort of get pulled into it and then it, then it sort of the the momentum stops and it sort of slows down and it, it gets a little bit oh is this you, as soon as you think to yourself right is this going to start dragging on now something else happens and it pulls you in again mm. and then it slows down again so i i found it um don't get wrong i i enjoyed it a lot more this on this watch it's the second time i've seen it and i enjoyed it a lot more this time and um, than i did when i've watched it originally like you um but yeah there was just 
I think it's because when you watch something, especially you haven't, if you haven't seen anything in a while, and then mm. you, re, you re-watch it, and then you start picking up on things that you think, did I miss that the first time, or did I just forget it was in there? Um, so you kind of start picking up on all these little things as well that you may have missed the first time, or you just didn't see, or you've forgotten. Mm. So I like it when that happens. That's good. But um, you're absolutely right. If if we weren't doing it on the podcast, it would probably just stay on the shelf yeah. until God knows when. Um, I probably wouldn't reach for it. If I was thinking, oh, I'm really in a mood for a bit of Tom Baker, you know, what, what, am, I gonna, what am I gonna reach for? It probably wouldn't have been the Sunmakers. No. And I think I like you, I watched it in two episodes. So it's four it's a four parter and I watched two episodes on Monday and then two on Tuesday. And that was just right. I and mean, I don't think I think I would have struggled to have sat through all four in one sitting. Um, so it's quite nice yeah. to break it up over two evenings and it worked really well. Um, I think, yeah, that's the thing. It's not one I've ever really reached for. The last time I, the, when I bought it, when it, when it came out, I bought it and I watched it with the commentary because I was in uh, first, so I didn't actually watch the story. That might sound a bit strange, but I watched it with the commentary. Um, and that was quite enjoyable. I think, you know, but it didn't, I could see the story wasn't grabbing me. And then one day, a bit like you just said, you go to the Doctor Who shelf, you're looking, which story haven't I watched for a while? Mm. And I looked at the Sunmakers and I was like, well, I haven't watched that for a while and don't really remember much about it. I'll give it a go. Let's let's give that, because, you know, sometimes you reach for your favourites, so sometimes you'll go yeah. up and think, oh, come on, let's have a bit of Pyramids of Mars. I'm in the mood for that. But I was that day looking for something that, you know, I hadn't watched quite a few times. So let's give that one a go. See, see what, it, what it's like. And yeah, and I do remember getting sort of halfway through and, and just giving up on it and thinking, oh, I'm not in the mood for this. It's boring. Um, and that's the image that stayed in my mind until now. Um, but yeah, sort of having to watch it from start to finish. Um, there's actually some really, really good stuff going on in this. And uh, for one thing, the cast in it are brilliant. Everybody in it, the, the cast really hold this together. They're a really strong cast, I thought. Um I do, <laughs> I do find uh, the collector's voice a little bit <laughs> distracting to begin with, but I quite got used to it quite quickly, if you know what I mean. Um, but I suppose what I'm saying in 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 a long way round is that I think if I'm in the mood for this story, I think it can be quite a good watch. But I, it is one I have to be in the mood for. It's not like a pyramids or or Terror of the Zygons or something like that where I can put it on and i just know it's just it's just rattles along and it's just you sat there thinking this is a cracker this isn't one of them stories <laughs> but it's but it is one that if i'm in the right mood for now that i could definitely sit and and uh and, and enjoy yeah no i read you mate I, mm. I agree with um with all of that it's um i think there are certain story elements that do um they do sort of try and hammer home the whole thing about the, the the oppressive governments and so on constantly yeah. raising taxes and people not being you know they can't afford you know so you know to to pay the taxes as well as have a decent standard of living and and all that stuff and it does really you know in every episode it just really goes through that you know so it really wants the viewer to recognize that yes you know we've sort of written this you know we've written this story wrote this story in a way that we're unhappy about paying taxes at the moment mm-hmm. um, it's not very subtle is it i mean that's one thing i thought it really does it's really in your face it's not like yeah. done in a subtle way at all well that's um, what i mean they really sort yeah. of, you know they really sort of play on the issue a lot 
because it's yeah. always meant in, in most of the scenes in each episode they they reference it all the time and they discuss it and you know so they really want you to be aware that you know the uh, the the reasoning behind the, the the plot is basically you know the I don't know if it's a worldwide thing or if it was a UK thing at the time back in the seventies but you know taxes were going up and people were finding that you know they just couldn't afford to do everything they couldn't afford to pay taxes and be well off and enjoy life and all that so yeah and it's all and it's about like greedy corporations as well yeah so it's it's uh it's because in some um classic who especially when we talk about pertwee's era um they you know a, a lot of it is written politically you know there's, mm. there's you know a lot of um sort of political um movements and so on that you know drive some of the storylines and you can see that but it's quite subtle um whereas this one it's there's just no subtlety about it like you said it's no. just it's like a smack in the face you know it's uh you can't help but so that does kind of press on you know throughout the entire story and that does get a little bit especially by episode three as you mm. get towards the end of episode three you're thinking you know we un you know we get it <laughs> we un we yeah. understand what's going on we we know what where you're coming from but other than Maybe. that, it, I thought it was you know a, a really cool story and one that's often overlooked. I would say, in De- definitely, Zero. yeah, definitely overlooked. I was thinking well, maybe it's an age thing as well, Gary, because I think like now I can relate to a lot more of what the story is trying to trying to say. I mean, there's no way as a kid I would have cared about taxes and you know and government repression and all that. Just it would not even register with me as a kid. Uh-huh. Um, and so maybe that's why the appeal of the story is, is gone up in my estimations because I can relate to a lot more of what Robert Holmes is trying to say in, in the script now. Uh, and, and not a lot has changed really, if you think about it in, in terms of what he's trying to hammer home uh, very unsubtly. Um, so yeah, I think maybe that's another reason that I just enjoyed it a lot more. I was finding it quite funny. These sort of little in jokes, you know, like the corridor P 45 and all that. And that would have just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that would have gone totally over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a sort of kid or yeah. even teenager, so maybe it's because I, you know, I've got a bit older now, and these things are a bit more relevant to me. Because it, in that sense, it's quite a grown up story, isn't it? And it, it is. Yeah, it is quite dark in terms of the storyline. Like, I mean, if you think about the first five minutes, you have got a guy who's about to commit suicide by jumping off a roof. I see. This is quite dark. Yeah, you know, yeah. but it's done. The whole story is done in a fairly comedic possibly way a lot of it's quite comedic i suppose um like you know the pompous guy and all that it's all you know when i say it's dark i mean it's just the undertones and actually what's going on that's dark and it's not not the actual performance itself so um but yeah i just i don't know i think it is quite a, a an adult doctor who episode in many ways in terms of the story Absolutely. so maybe that's why i like it more now yeah yeah and i think um I th- you're absolutely right with that being an age thing i think if you're a younger viewer watching this i think you would you would understand the gist of the story but it wouldn't be relatable in any way no you know when you wouldn't think you know like you said you wouldn't think like well i don't care about taxes i don't know enough about that stuff i don't pay them all that stuff and i think allegory plays a big part in it as well i think um you know as a a mature or an adult viewer uh the allegory is is just yeah it's all over it you know, you can substitute mm. some of the things in this for what was going on at the time and still going on today, like one for one. 
you know, if you swap out the greedy corporation that the collector is uh, is all about, that's like the oil companies, I suppose, mm. or the you know the energy companies and all that stuff. And yeah, it's just it's all over it. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, even the big Barclay card they've got as well. It's so oh, unsubtle, yeah. isn't it? It's so funny. <laughs> it's that giant Barclay card. Because uh, again, I mean, I I look at that and it makes you smile because I remember like my dad having that card. Um, with those colours on, I oh, yeah. again, I, yeah. again, I doubt they're like they're probably not like that now, are they? Can you still get a Barclay card like that? Probably not. I don't not, think but, so. No, but I mean that's again, it's a, that's an age thing, isn't it? Because I look at that and it makes me laugh because I think, oh, my dad had that that Barclay card, although it's supposed to be something else, isn't it? But it's so obviously mm-hmm. a yeah. giant Barclay card that they used in the story. But yeah, <laughs> just little bits like that just um, just brought a smile to my face. As I say, I was just thinking, oh, actually, really quite quite enjoying this uh, going along with this. Yeah, and I liked all the guys in the underground, you know, like the repressed guys hiding in the sewer, because we think they're the kind of bad guys to begin with, don't we? Because they're quite horrible. I mean, they're like, yeah. the, one of them instantly orders the death of Leela, <laughs> which is not very nice. Um, and then he's later on, he's brandishing a hot poker or something in the doctor's face. and all that. Mm. I mean, they're not particularly pleasant, those guys, but they're, they're interesting because they're... Um, <laughs> Because of you know who they are, they're they're actually sort of in a sense representing us, aren't they? Being repressed underground, and then they fight their way up to the top. So, mm-hmm. although they initially start off as quite unpleasant, you sort of get to see why they're like that yes. in a sense, which yeah. is quite interesting. I thought, yeah, yeah, you kind of perceive them more as just a gang, really, like a bunch of thugs who are, yeah, you know, you don't want to conform. So they've sort of got this criminality that you initially think, you know, they're just a bunch of criminals and. And all that, but it turns out, you know, it's not, that's the only choice they've got. It's either you pay the taxes and you live poor and, you know, you just put money in someone else's pocket or you go underground. Yeah. Um, and it smacks very much of, um, very much of, um, there was a film out in the 90s, I think, called Demolition Man. Oh. If you've seen it with Stallone. Stallone, yeah. Yeah, gosh. this is really, they must have taken a lot of cues from this because it, it's very, very similar. Where it's like yeah. a sort of, um, I wouldn't say it's like a dictatorship in that film, but there's like one guy who's sort of ruling everything of that part of the world and everyone just conforms to this way of life. And if you don't conform, then you you go and live underground in the sewers. Mm. And it's pretty much the same as this. It's uh, just that notion of, you know, you, you suck it up and get on with it or you, you bugger off. Yeah. i got to say, I mean, I definitely... Um, I haven't seen that film for years, but I remember it, so I know what you mean. Um, I was going to say other things it reminded me of was like 1984. Um, it's got a bit of that undertone as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Like the very beginning where you've got the woman speaking on the wall. Because I think, again, it's strange how your opinion on stuff changes. Because like the first time I watched this, I was thinking, oh, the sets are so bland and boring. And oh, this production is terrible. And this time I'm watching it thinking, oh, I quite like the barren set because that's very 1984 and yes, you know yeah. and i quite like the um the giant circuit boards which look so simple <laughs> but i think they're quite effective and it's just strange how your opinion of stuff changes i mean i love this won't surprise you but i love the location work in it like the tardis on the roof looks so square and chunky and i'm just like i don't know what it is about that that shot at the start yeah but i'm just like it just looks great it's like i don't know it is a shame that it's not a sunny day because it's so clearly supposed to be you know there's it's supposed to be really bright and sunny when they're outside isn't it and it's 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 a a really overcast (laughs) 
<laughs> I think is that you know I'm always expecting him to be like oh the the sun when they come out and they can't really do that because it's just yeah you can see it's bleak and yeah and yeah drizzly. There's only so um, much you can sh- do with lights as well and yeah, yeah. that's a shame I think because that's quite an important part of the story really is when they finally get to to get on the roof the the guys who have been hiding in the sewers or whatever all these years you know i think really we need a scene there where they're like oh the sun yes but we don't get it because they just there is no sun in the sky unfortunately when they filmed so that's the real shame i think nowadays they'd have totally well they'd have just put cgi all over it they would have mended that within within two seconds so that wouldn't have been a problem but but back then yeah can't do but i love the location where like inside you know the the corridors (laughs) I know we we always get corridors in Doctor Who, but I I think because of the way they're shot, so you know, hats off to um Pennant Roberts. Um you know, like when they're they're on the slowest escape buggy in the world. You know oh, yeah. that bit, the you know, where, yeah. and they're in those corridors and they're very <laughs> simple, but again, it just really works in the whole barren tone of the actual episode, I thought. So I'm really liking the locations in this and um there must be that must be the underground like they must be deep in the underground for some of it as well. Cause those, you know, those other tunnels, oh, that, yeah. that's, yeah. that's like Camden mm. under, underneath the Camden tube station, I think. So I loved all that cause they're really barren <laughs> gray <laughs> locations, but they work perfectly with like the story. I thought so again, that was another thing I found myself thinking, wow. Yeah. I like, like all this, like mm. what's going on here. Yeah. I'm just really surprised. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how, because I can just imagine when you first watch this and when um, probably a lot of our listeners who are, who are not really fans of it, they mm. would look at things like that, like the sets. They are very, because it's just a black room, isn't it? From, from yeah. some of it. It's just really yeah. just a black, a big black room with like the odd chair popped here and a desk and, you know, a mm. table and, you know, there's a silhouette of somebody high up on the wall and you don't know what they're doing, but. Um, but I think that adds to the story. I think it adds to the um, it adds to the um, sort of dystopian sort of feel to it because mm-hmm. you know there's no because although like you know the the gatherer guy the big um, he's got a big job title hasn't he he oversees all the taxes for his area or his yeah. megropolis as it's called um, so he he comes across like he lives quite lavishly and because he's got like big flowing robes and, you know, he's happy to just, you know, hike taxes up willy nilly and all that stuff. But you don't really see him live in luxury. You know, he's no. still got just a very plain, ordinary desk. Um, and I think the the most we see him sort of splash out is when he gets a box of leaves out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they snack on a leaf. It's like, so, yeah. you know. That's so random. Yeah. So So I think it's by design. That it's meant, you know, it's meant to be that sort of very sparse, plain, simple, you know, all of the money, all of the profit from all these taxes just goes into the pocket of the collector and Mm. and the company. Praise be the company. Um, And then literally everything else is just simple as it needs to be, you know, and, you know. I do like the sun. You know, they've got that that weird sun picture in Matey Boy's room. He's got it like hanging a giant, giant sort of gold. Um, Hade, isn't it? Oh, that's Hade. right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, do you know what I mean? That funny, weird sun shape looks... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I like that. It's quite a nice design. Mm. Um, but the only thing that doesn't work very well for me in terms of the sets is, uh, do you remember... You know, not many of our listeners are going to remember this, but some might. Do you remember a program called Chock-A-Block? 
I don't, I'm oh, afraid. I was hoping you no. would. I'm sure there'll be one listener out there that does. Well, it's a, it's a program that was on um, in the late 70s, 80s, maybe, kids' program. And a lot of the big dials and those parts of the sets that they use in this, you know, like the bit where the guy gets electrocuted and all that, that oh, those yeah. funny yeah. wooden square blocks with great big dials on the stuff. Every time they were sort of using one of them in the story, I just kept thinking a chocker block because it looks a lot like that. But um, unfortunately, if you haven't seen it, it, w- it won't mean anything. But yeah, is it? It the- does. They look a lot like that, as if they've just reused chocker block for a lot of the rest of the scenery. Is it the um like the standard kids TV from like that time period you said where all the stuff yeah big was wooden like- dials yeah, yeah, yeah. The television screen incorporated into the wood yeah oh, right. all that yeah. sort of stuff yeah yeah they they didn't work so well for me but but they did bring a smile to my face well that's interesting because on all of the electronic stuff like the 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 big computer i guess that the collectors using a lot throughout of it that's printing out all of his profits and and all that stuff um and like the electronical stuff that the doctor uses you know when he goes to the atm machine <laughs> yeah and he's got that big electronic card thing and it's got the you know um a lot of it looks really um childlike yeah and also like the collector's got the big red emergency button that the the doctor um sort of fiddles with and sabotages it so that when the collector hits it it just springs up with a funny little boing sound effect and that's it yeah um you know a lot of it is very childlike and simplistic and uh, it's not like you would find in like sort of typical classic who like even way back in like Pertwee's era you know when whenever you were talking about electronic stuff you did have like reams of like multicolored different wires and clamps and little blinking big tape decks yeah all that stuff and you had like blinking lights everywhere and switches and dials and the whole lot whereas this is like it's not like that at all is it it's very much like here's a big red button on its own and that does like a billion things and here's a big lever and it's made of wood and it might do (laughs) something you know it's really interesting design it wouldn't look out place on play school let's put it that way some some of the set yes um, but other yeah. bits look good yeah yeah um in terms of um so story-wise i mean you know i think we've established it it's very much about the oppressive company forcing mm. taxes through the roof so people are having to work all day and night just to pay their taxes and then they haven't got much left so that's mm. like the gist of the um of like the, the the population of that megropolis because the the whole planet of pluto is made up of these massive um cities aren't they and that which is why they need the six suns all around the planet Mm. so that they can you know provide you know constant light to all of these big megropolises Mm. um and it's basically the lower grade people who are working really hard to maintain all that stuff and make a profit at the same time and not having much of a life so that's like the gist of the kind of thing um what did you think about some of the so the the direction and editing and stuff because sometimes it does sort of slip down into that classic who with sort of not much imagination going into some of the 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 set setups and the camera angles and that kind of thing it does sometimes it's very much a let's just put the camera on him while he's talking and then we'll flick to him while he's talking and there really isn't much going on it's a very uh, it's a very um uh, static affair 
Yeah, I think because it, it's quite wordy a lot of the time, mm. it does feel like that. It's just, yeah, there's lots of long shots of people just talking in the same shot. Mm. On the other hand, I did like some of Pennant Roberts' direction when he was doing stuff like, there were some really nice shots of K-9, um, right. sort of filmed yeah. from a sort of high up angle and stuff. Um, and I'm also thinking about the, <laughs> the buggy coming towards the camera and it looks like the camera's been put on the floor and there are some nice shots in it. Like I said, and also the TARDIS on the roof, there's like a nice long shot of that. And then was obviously they're filming over the roof. So don't know. There are some, there is some good stuff going on in the direction I thought. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, because there are a lot of long scenes, um, where there's just talking, sometimes it does feel a bit static. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and they could have mm. done a bit more with Hayde getting thrown off the roof. <laughs> no, but it is so funny the way he crosses his arms like that. And he's like, what's going on here? Like that. <laughs> Because, I mean, I would never want, I'd never will somebody to be thrown off a roof, but it, he's kind of asking for it when he comes up. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's so, yeah, it's, it is so funny. It shouldn't be. It's quite horrific, really. If you think about it in terms of the script, it's awful, really. It they're supposed bad. to be the good yeah. guys. And they're all laughing gleefully after they've done it. I mean, it's, it's so wrong. <laughs> but it, it does kind of work because I suppose it's just really a metaphor, isn't it, of um, th- of uh, throwing off the, yeah the what's, you know, they're overthrowing is the word I'm looking for, aren't they? Overthrowing the powers at the top and That's putting right, him yeah. down the bottom. Yeah. There's a metaphor sort of thing, but yeah, it's so wrong in so many ways, but also it's quite funny to watch at the yeah. same time. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit more detail because that kind of leads into, before we get onto some characters, about some of the darker moments in the story. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that it is quite an adult story. Yeah. And it does have some quite dark moments. Um, so the opening scene is um, a character called Cordo. Yeah. And he's basically um, paying the death tax for his dad, I think, that passed away. That's and it, yeah. he, And you can choose, from what I can gather, you can choose um, a, a funeral arrangement, I think. And there's like different levels. And I can't remember the one that he chooses. Um, but he says to hey you know i've chosen this one for my dad and um and then the amount so from when he chose that to then actually paying for it the tax has gone up a lot since then and he hasn't got enough money and you can see him sort of breaking down Mm. you know in front of him and you can see that his life is nothing and it's quite hard to watch because he's like well i'm doing like double shifts already i'm working like a 20 hour day Mm. you know just to get you this amount of money. There's no way that I can afford what you're asking for. I think he's got something like 80, what they call Talmars. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So he's got sort of 80-odd of those, but the Hade says, you know, I need 120-odd. And he's like, well, I can't do it. So then we have this really horrible moment where Hade's like, fortunately for you, you know, I happen to know whoever your boss is or whatever. So I'm going to tell him that you can sort of, you know, up your output. And he's like, well, I'm already working like 20 hours a day. I can't do anymore. And he's like, yeah, you can. You know, so he's got this real horrible moment where he can see that, you know, there's just no empathy for anything at all, is there? It's like, well, I don't understand the problem. There's 24 hours in a day. You're working 20. You just work the another four. And then you then you didn't have the money to do it, and he, you know, it's it's horrible to watch. And then it leads on to an even darker moment, which you mentioned, where. 
he's going to commit suicide and throw himself off the roof. Yeah, yeah. So, Which is very yeah. dark, and it's it's great. I mean, it's <laughs> the thing I like about the scene is the way the Doctor and Leela work together when he's because they they they're quite calm, aren't they? There's like you know he's about to jump to his death because yeah. because of, of this horrible situation, and like you said, it is very dark actually. Yeah, but then of course the Doctor's brings out the old jelly babies which is a nice moment <laughs> yeah um leela distracts him uh doctor grabs him with the scarf and pulls him back and it's a lovely little moment of the two of them working together i thought yeah um bringing sort of a bit of comedy to what is quite a bleak um mm-hmm. situation yeah and thank god that they were there and that they landed on you know on that roof at that mm-hmm. time because he was gonna go let's yeah, not make yeah. any mistake about that he was uh, gonna jump yeah. so. Uh, so that was cool and then we have some other darker moments where there's another guy. So when the doctor gets captured after he gets gassed in the ATM machine thingy, he's, mm. he's in a straight jacket and he's in this oh, room. Yeah. And there's another guy next to him. And that's the scene where we find out that as well as the company sort of, you know, making pretty much 99% of the, the population work, you know, way beyond, you know, what they should be doing with little to no money. We then find out that they've been pumping this gas into the into the air supplies, uh, which is basically um, uh, what do they call it? They called it P something uh, PCM, mm. uh, which basically just sort of keeps them all in line. It's like this fear sort of toxin almost that they pump into the air supply, and yeah. um, it just keeps all the population very civil and you know sort of uh, brainwashes them almost into thinking that, you know, this is all okay. You know, this is all fine. You know, the, the amount of hours that we're working and all the taxes that we're paying, we don't mind. You know, this is all okay. So that's really dark. That's really... And I think they took maybe some of this stuff from... If anyone's ever seen George Lucas's early film, THX 1138. I don't know if anyone's... Have you seen that, mate? No, I don't, I don't know that one. It's a real, very similar story where the population has been you know they take a they take uh, this drug every day and it keeps them in line and stops mm. them from having emotions and all that sort of thing and it's run by like a big oppressive thing yeah so it smacks of that and it it works really well in this because they don't they don't give this information to you up front you just think well why are people why are people why haven't they revolted be, you know before this point why haven't all of these people sort of made a stand and uh, and sort of overrun this these people because if you think about it, all it is really is a little bald guy in a chair, mm. um, and then these collectors who are sort of manage all the taxes on his behalf and so on. And there's not really much of a military presence. We have these guys in no. these blue arms. So you think to yourself, well, why haven't they taken action before and and overthrown before? And it's not until you get to the scene where the guy says to the to the doctor about, you know they developed this PCM thing. I can't remember what it stands for now, but the doctor's like immediately disgusted and yeah, he immediately yeah. clicks and he's like, right now, I, you know, as with the viewer as well, we're like, right now we know why, because they're, mm. you know, they're sort of drug induced the whole time. So that's, I found that part of it particularly dark as well. I thought, wow, that's really bad and a sad yeah. situation as well. Yeah. It's a good bit of writing, isn't it? Cause mm. it explains why, like you said, cause otherwise you'd be thinking, why haven't they done this before? Cause when they do take over, they do it quite easily, don't they? Because really, these guys at the top—they're—they're they're all male for no trousers, so they're controlling <laughs> it all by this sort of, you know, like—and this happens a lot in real life, doesn't it? By sort of shouting and telling you what to do. But when it comes to actually 
standing up to them there's you know there's nothing to them they, yeah. they crumble yeah um so yeah so when they do finally take over it they do take over quite easily um and i think that's quite important that that bit of writing to explain why they've you know not done that before yeah yeah it just adds a sort of element of um sort of bit more realism to it if you like yeah and it also explains why the 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 gangs if you like who are living in the undercity it explains why they're so rowdy and sort mm. of in your face and sort of up for it. Whereas the people, yeah, yeah. Whereas the people who are living, you know, who are towing the line while they're so sort of obedient. So that sort of makes sense as well after that. Cause you think, why are they so, you know, rowdy and why haven't they sort of done anything? So, yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. And then sort of the other scene, which is extremely funny, but is also really dark is the moment where Hayde just gets tossed off the roof. And the thing that I found, <laughs> the thing that I found really um, very dark about that scene is when he comes out onto the roof and he's sort of full of it, isn't he? He's like, what's the meaning of this? And he's got his arms <laughs> yeah. crossed. Yeah. Um, the thing that I found particularly dark about that was that the, the gang of people on the roof, there is no hesitation mm. at all in what they're going to do to him. They, as soon as they all turn around and see him, they literally just walk up to him, pick him up, throw him off the roof and then have a good old crack up. Yeah, it's uh, it's, I, it's really weird because I find myself conflicted with it because in it's some ways it's really unpleasant because I, I don't like their sort of gleeful reaction afterwards because exactly. it feels yeah. so wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because Hade is such a pompous, annoying sort of person that we'd all like to just get rid of. Yeah, it's, I'm really conflicted by it. And also because you see that, you know, so clearly a dummy when he's thrown off that roof. It, it does make it more comical. But it is it is just because he's so pompous and, and stupid that it makes it, you know, you sort of think, yeah, good, throw him off the roof. But then when you look at it in realism terms, it's actually really deeply unpleasant. It um, is. What yeah. they've done. Um, that's why that location's good is because you do get the feeling it's a proper high building, which I'm assuming it is. You know, sometimes the Doctor Who... You know, like when they're, I'm thinking like in the Five Doctors, for example, where they sort of fall out, Sarah Jane falls over an edge and it's so clearly just a very small, <laughs> you know, they're climbing up, climbing up the sort of side of it as if it's like a mountain drop. Whereas this does feel like a proper tall building. So yes, even yeah. though it's clearly a dummy that's thrown off, you do get the, you do get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it's, they're so gleeful after they've done it. And you're right about the no hesitation. It's, um, it's not very nice. But no. then they've been repressed so long and they're just, as I said, I just look at it as a metaphor of they're overthrowing this this person that's repressed them for all this time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mixed about that scene. Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, in one way, I mean, I cannot, when I watched it, I, I remember having this reaction the first time I saw it as well. And then when I watched it again yesterday, I, I honestly had to pause the DVD because I was laughing so hard. And for so long, I couldn't hear the, the scenes that um, that follow on from that. So I literally had to, um, yeah, I literally had to stop it for like two or three minutes, compose myself, and uh, and then get back on with the story because it's just the way <laughs> they just pick him up. So that's what I mean. You're absolutely right. It's, it's a conflict because on one hand, it's hilarious because they just pick him up, throw him over the balcony. <laughs> that's it. He's all the way down. <laughs> I'm really surprised that Gareth Roberts and um, Clay and Hickman haven't done used that as one of their funny videos. You know when they sometimes overdub silly music onto stuff 
to make oh, it comedy. Yeah, yeah. That's asking for it. I mean, that would be pure comedy gold of a bit of goodies music put over it or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose what's, what's disturbing, though, is, is I'm assuming the doctor's on the roof at that point, and we would normally expect him to step in with the moral high ground or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, we don't really see the doctor's reaction to it, which is good, because I think if we saw the doctor condoning it, that mm-hmm. might yeah. just push it to the wrong side uh, um, even more. Um but we don't really see that. The next shot is just them getting in the TARDIS. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but we're assuming the doctor is on that roof at the, that point and he doesn't do anything to stop them. Um, no. I mean, Leela would be there telling him, <laughs> you know, yeah, go for it. Cause she's, you know, a bit, she's the savage, but <laughs> it does seem odd that the doctor doesn't step in or do yeah. anything yeah. or yeah. Yeah. But we do, he just, they just kind of don't have him in the scene and that's it. Yeah. I read you. <laughs> so let's talk about some characters then. Yeah. Uh, let's rattle through some of these. So we have the so Cordo, he's the first sort of proper character we see mm. along with Hade. So Cordo, he really finds his um he starts off very uh quiet and um repressed the opening scene with Hade. Even though he completely disagrees with what's going on, he's just sort of got this well, I, I can't afford it and I can't afford he just goes with it. You know, even though he says like you're gonna have to work, you know, even more and all that, he just sort of goes for it and looks very disappointed and dismayed, which obviously leads him to his, you know, almost an attempt at suicide. And uh, but by the end, he's blasting guns yeah. off into the ceiling and cheering, and he's getting everyone going like this is amazing. I feel great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he really finds himself sort of two thirds of the way through, and he just goes mad, and it gets to the point where they have to tell him to calm down. Mm-hmm. So the guy's I- like, yeah, no, we haven't won yet. This is just the doctor putting a de- you know, you know, putting this out there. Just calm down, because when yeah. he walks in and fires the cannon, they all sort of drop to the floor, <laughs> and, um, and they tell him to calm down. So I like that transition for him. He goes from like mm. repressed, you know, into this bit of a leader almost. I, I liked Cordo. Yeah, the actor's Roy McCready. Um, he actually drew me into the story uh, very, very quickly, which is something that didn't happen on a first watch. Um, I think because I was you know, when you watch this sort of review, you watch it more, uh, attently. So I really liked his performance. Yeah. Cause he does seem so downtrodden and I felt really sorry for him in those first five minutes because, you know, his dad's died and he can't afford the bills. And so I immediately got on board of his character and I thought he played him really well. Um, uh, Roy McCready. I thought he gave a really good performance as this sort of nervous, slightly broken, you know, been worked to death, poor guy mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Um, I thought he was really good. Um, and again, like you said, a good transition as well of him sort of gradually, you know, finding his sort of freedom and he really does go for it by the end. Yeah. Does, but I yeah. thought he was good. He, as I said, he didn't, cause sometimes you get a wishy washy actor that would have sort of overplayed it, whatever. And they don't really, get you and you said it earlier he said it's quite an emotional scene uh, at the start where he's genuinely seems upset that he's you know can't afford the funeral bills and so he's like well i'll just i just it's only one way out of this you know um yeah yeah, i thought he was really good really good as that character yeah he was good believable believable indeed uh let's talk about um so hayde and his assistant man so yeah so hayde he uh yeah, he's he's a horrible character. He is horrible. I couldn't make up my mind because it's um, played by Richard Leach. Mm-hmm. Um, Hate, I'm talking about. Um, yeah. I couldn't make up my mind because he he is a bit hammy in his performance, he and is. he does. Yeah. He is a bit over the top. 
So sometimes I thought he was good, and sometimes I thought he, he was a bit too much. But but he is also plays it very unlikable as he's supposed to be. So I quite I quite like his performance overall. Um, it's very conflicting though, isn't it? Because he he is over the top with it. But I don't know. I think he doesn't. He does find a good level because he's very pompous, um, and I think he does that quite well. So yeah, I quite liked him overall his performance in this i thought he was good in terms of being somebody you just really don't like yeah i would agree with that i mean there are times full of himself yeah Yeah. there are times when you think is he is he proper hamming it up to the point where this is a bit Mm -hmm. what's the guy who we always reference for hamming uh, um oh you know paul like yeah yeah david collins david collins yeah you do think to yourself is he going a bit collins is he getting to that point but then he just reins in a little bit and then you think Mm. yeah it's actually pretty good but i think he i think he plays the part exactly how it was written to be honest i think that character's meant to be disliked and meant to be like this um just completely unaware of people's um problems and he doesn't care for people's issues he doesn't care if you're working with no sleep you know he'll still hike the tax up he'll still do it as long as he's maintaining his standard of living and the collector or his boss is happy he's happy just to be this real horrible uh, person so i think he's playing it exactly how it was written and he d- yeah. he does do a good performance a lot of the time and even yeah. to the point where he's about to get thrown off the roof he's still like got that sort of you can't touch me attitude and he just strolls up and you know yeah i liked him in it and he even manages to i mean he does kind of pull off that costume not you know i mean it's a ridiculous (laughs) hat he's gone but he does he does yeah he doesn't he doesn't look ridiculous but he Hmm. should (laughs) do you know what i mean i think because it fits his pompous personality that costume yes so i don't know i think anybody else in that might have just you might have just thought well that's completely ruined any credibility this character had because he looks ridiculous but he uh (laughs) he carries it off i think yeah yeah so yeah quite like him in this yeah and Mm. then his assistant man she sort of jumps ship towards the end you know uh yeah because she because i thought at times i was sort of really willing her to stand up to him and say like why are you treating people this way but yeah she kind of goes along with it doesn't she throughout most of the episode and it's not until he gets thrown off the roof she's like well i'll join you guys then it would have been better if she had stood up to him more because um in terms of her performance she's playing it quite straight and i liked that i thought she you know she again you a good performance from the actress um what's her name yeah janina Sean. scott janina scott yeah yeah but it but i felt there was much more in there mm-hmm. like you said it would have been lovely to us in her because clearly she thinks he's a bit of a idiot doesn't she she's tolerating him you get the impression yes yeah. he's not really you know yeah. a fan of him but but uh, yeah there would have been nicer and a bit more from her because i thought seeing she was in i thought she was quite good um uh, again quite sort of you know playing the part quite straight and quite serious mm-hmm. in, in a kind of even in sort of ridiculous circumstances so yeah but it would have been nice would have been nicer and a bit more from her yeah yeah, yeah i agree yes um and let's talk about the the gang of Thugs in the Undercity, so yeah, um, led by a guy called Mandrill, mm. played by William Simons. Um, I only know him from when my mum used to watch Heartbeat years Same. Of, years yeah. ago. Yeah, um, and I think he's been in quite a few other things uh, since then. I think he was in Corrie for a while, and mm. um, I think he was in Minder as well. I remember seeing him in Minder, but um, uh, yeah, so he was. He reminded me, do you remember there's a character in Caves of Androzani 
you know the one of them the soldier marine guys with the beard okay he's known to that, you know he's he's oh yeah yeah i know you mean yeah yeah he kind of reminded me of of his character a lot mm. yeah a bit um, actually, or vice yeah. versa actually because it's out afterwards but um that real sort of harsh cocky you know take charge no one else is going to take charge so i you know i'm going to do it and um so i kind of i like that element of his performance but with the same thing as with Mann, I really wanted him to be a bit more in your face and a bit because he does mm. give the doctor a bit of stick, doesn't he? You yeah, know, you know, and he does give him a bit of a hard time, and he essentially kidnaps Leela. Yes, um, he does. Yeah. Know. So, but I just wished that he was a bit more arrogant and a bit more in your face. I wanted a bit more from him, mm. but he was still alright though. Still good. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good actor actually. Um, yeah, and he does play those parts particularly well. I thought. Um, yeah, it's a good scene with Baker. Um, the scene with him fighting with Leela was one of the points where I did think, oh, here we go, a, a typical Doctor Who fight. Yeah. <laughs> but thankfully, it's very short, it isn't is. it? Yeah. It, it does get cut short, which is good. Um, but that was a bit of a uh, not such a good moment in the, in the series. But um, but yeah, he's good, I thought. I liked him as well. He definitely plays the part mm. um, of this sort of aggressive, repressed, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, uh, quite angry man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like you. I always think of him as Ventress in Heartbeat. So as soon as he comes on the screen, I can hear the tune in my head, you know. Ventress. Yeah, no, I know. My dad used to love it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, he's good in it. He is good in it. Yeah. yeah. And then we have like some other people who aren't sort of main characters, but they do throw yeah. their, their two cents in. So we have that. There's a couple, isn't there? There's, um, there's, a, there's a girl called V. And I think the guy's name is Gaudry. Yeah. Or Bishop. My- one of the two. And uh, they're like a couple, I think. And um, I think you might recognise Veet, Adrian Burgess. She was in Blake Seven for a bit, apparently. Oh no, one. Um, no, I didn't actually. I reckon Michael Keating is in Blake Seven. Uh, I don't know. Adrian might have been as well. I'm not sure, but yeah, she's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who was she then? I should know that. I mean, Michael Keating was was is in every single. I think he's the only cast member that's in every single episode of Blake Seven, and he's. He's fantastic in Blake Seven. He's one of the best characters. Um, but it's weird. I always forget he's in this story. Yeah. Like, as soon as he pops up on screen, I mean, I should know this by now. It's not the first time I've watched it. But he pops up on screen with his little scraggly beard, and I'm like, oh, it's Villa. <laughs> you know, like, you know, Michael Keating. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I suppose it's because he's not very memorable in this, um, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. as much as I love Michael Keaton as an actor. But, yeah, he's not particularly the, – the character and the part that he plays is – easily forgotten um mm. if you know what i mean yeah. uh which is yeah. a shame because as i said he's, he's so good in blake seven and he is such a good character actor that um i wish he was in it more or did something more because he doesn't right. really do much in this apart from throwing the odd smug line yes um, yeah. doesn't really do much at all it's a shame but I, I mean this is before he went into blake seven maybe it's earlier on in his career or whatever but uh yeah. Yeah, shame because as I said, it's just a little bit forgettable. Um, those the rest of the guys. Yeah, that's what I mean. Stick in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, the others are just throwing the odd line here and there, and mm. and that's it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the TARDIS crew. Oh no, actually, before that, let's talk about the collector. Forgot about. Oh him. yeah, go on, do one more impression. Let's talk about the collector. <laughs> yes. Uh, Henry Wolf. Yeah. A very interesting character. This one. Very interesting. Now. I don't know. Maybe you know because you watched the commentary or the special features on this one because I haven't seen them yet. Um, was it his idea to do that voice or was it the written that way? 
Um, I don't know actually, because I unfortunately I watched the extras when I first got when it first came out, which would have been <laughs> a few years ago. Um, I did watch the making of this time, but he didn't mention that. I don't think. I, I guess so. I guess it's his yeah. interpretation. But it's yeah. he, it's a very unique character. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah, um, and I don't know about you, but it did. It was distracting to begin with because it did seem a bit comedy. I was like, oh, why is he doing a silly voice? Because he's quite menacing. Yeah. as a character isn't he? he's quite unpleasant um and he's got the whole look going on with the bold boldness and the wheelchair you know the this, this wheelchair that he's got with all these extra bits on it souped up wheelchair and <laughs> you know he's, he's and he's his actual performance is very unnerving but it's just the voice is strange um but i got used to it and i quite liked it by the end especially when he's going round and round and round saying, oh, you've let me down, Hag, no, and all that. I actually thought, I'm really loving this performance now, but but I found it a bit jarring to start with. It sort of took me a little bit out of the story. Yes, I'm glad you've said that. Yeah. Because I thought, is this just me? Because I think the first scene that we see him, I when I when especially when I first saw it, I thought, what is this? <laughs> this has turned yeah, into I can just a, imagine. Yeah, yeah, this has turned into a right sort of carry-on film. Mm-hmm. So what's all this malarkey? Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end of it, it's completely suited to the story and the character. Yeah. Um, yeah. You totally just go along with it and get used to it. But uh, yeah, that first few minutes, it's like, what is this? Why has he done that? It's almost like, you know, in um, Ghost Light, you know, the, uh, Light. Oh, yeah. And you think, why is he doing that high-pitched, silly voice? And that doesn't get any better as it no. goes along but this one it does after especially when you get into episode three yeah and you go along you, you do start thinking you just get used to it and it's just part of the the performance it's pretty good yeah. it's um, very unpleasant when he's waiting to hear when leela's sentenced to death and he's like waiting to hear her screams you know and it's part oh, of the yeah. thing yeah um what is it not smoked to death um gas uh no what is it? Steamed to death. Steamed. Yeah. yeah he's like, oh, steam. Where's the, where's the cries of pain? And all yeah, that. Thinking, yeah. Yeah, that you know, it really does work quite well in those scenes. You're thinking, yeah, he's horrible. Hmm. Um, I bet you were laughing at his demise, though, when he goes down the toilet plug hole. Oh, yeah. How <laughs> I'm can still not, not sure how I feel about that. Because <laughs> not only that, as if that's not bad enough, he just disappears down the toilet. They then put a, a cork in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is just it is just bizarre yeah. that that bit the way he gets um when he gets in ca- caged i suppose but it's weird isn't it that bit and yeah. funny and and silly and and just wow <laughs> it's just because it's a commode that wheelchair isn't it it's actually a commode it is yeah a toilet yeah it's a toilet yeah so we've got this really <laughs> evil, guy, evil guy um dishing out nastiness from a a toilet it's but yeah it's bizarre yeah and i yeah it, it was that that was also a good reveal as well because you assumed that he was just a human-like character yeah. you know throughout yeah. the entire story and it's not towards the end that the doctor says he's um a usarian from the planet usarius hmm. imaginatively titled but um <laughs> and apparently he's like a little fungus thing he's like a tiny little fungus like seaweed-like thing yeah. And he was just sort of manifested into this human form. And it's really funny that I, I, the reason why he sort of starts to regress into his, into his true form is because he just gets so wound up. <laughs> it's not like something's triggered it, like he's been shot or he's injured or something. He's just, 
He he looks at like the um, you know his his giant computer thing that's always spitting out the the paper oh, with all the figures. I love on. the fact that he reads it so with his nose practically touching <laughs> the paper as if he's so short sighted. I just a lovely idea that. Yeah, um, and it, when he sees the readout and it says like uh, you know it must say something like profitability profitability is going to be like negative and we're going to go bankrupt. That sort of wounds him up so much that that causes the reaction of him to go like into the green little slimy thing yeah and it is strange when they say the doctor's just very sort of nonchalant oh just put the plug in <laughs> you know keep him in there it's like well, where does you know what happens to the chair afterwards do they throw that off the roof oh what probably do, they do with that yeah Crikey. knowing the, the state they'd wound themselves into yeah i bet he was off that roof <laughs> <laughs> it is it is funny though it's it so funny, funny. It's just, yeah. in fact he just because again there's, there's got to be another <laughs> metaphor there hasn't he of him disappearing down the toilet it's just like it's all in there really <laughs> yeah it's, it's all there yeah. yeah um but yeah as a character uh not too bad but i think just sometimes his character like the story at times does suffer with unintentional comedy mm, um, yeah that's just classic who sometimes i suppose yeah no i quite liked him actually i yeah. d- did like him yeah uh tardis crew um mm. your one of your favorite favorites is back old canine yeah, uh, Mark One. I really liked K Nine in this. He's got more of a personality in this, hasn't he? He's um, he felt different to me. He felt I, I really liked him in it as well. He's like he's playing chess, and he's you know, and he's not being told what to do because the doctor tells him to stay, and he decides, oh, I think I'll just go for a wander. And yeah. don't know how he gets down all them stairs, but uh, yeah. uh, anyway, a bit like the Daleks, he's got the same problem, isn't he? But um, <laughs> but I really liked him in this. He just seems to have a bit more of a personality it's as if they sort of cut that back a bit he's not so robotic as later on is he where he's just giving one word like affirmative answers in this he's almost having a good old chin wag and yeah yeah you know i liked him yeah i thought there were some really good interactions between k9 and the doctor and leela as well because mm. leela's got a real soft spot for him you can tell yeah. she's like you know looking after him and the doctor's really quite horrible to him because mm. the doctor just sees it literally as a tin dog yeah, you know, and it, there's no um, sort of uh, organicness to it. It literally is just a walking computer, so he can be as nasty as he likes to it, you know, and that's it. Whereas Leela actually looks at it as a pet, you know, as a mm. as a proper little dog. So there's really nice where Leela gives really nice little smiles to him. Like there's a bit where they're down this corridor, and she's like, she's like, "Canine, go and hide." Yeah. And then he hides around the corner and then he takes him out and she's got this lovely little smile on her face, you know, like, good boy. You know, you, you know, you, you did the trick well there. Whereas yeah. the doctor, he's like, and he hates being outsmarted as well. Cause when they're playing chess right at the beginning within like six moves, canines like check. And the doctor's having none of it. He's like, that can't be right. And then it's really cool at the end where the doctor purposefully makes the TARDIS rock and it knocks all the chess pieces off. And he's like, Oh, you know, we'll have to get that game going again. You know, cause, I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that end scene because I love it when they tie up the <laughs> beginning and the end like that. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Lovely way to end the episode, that. Yeah. And it all sort of leverages around sort of canine's personality as well. Because if, if they mm. hadn't have gave him those, if they hadn't have given him those little personality traits, it would have been, you know, it wouldn't have worked. So you can almost tell that canine's purposefully sort of making the doctor angry because he knows mm. that he can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really liked K9 in this. I thought he had a great performance. 
Yeah, no, I did as well. I mean, yeah. I love K9 anyway, but I just was, again, this is another thing that surprised me about the story, is um, just how many nice scenes there were with K9 in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one other thing I noticed about him, though, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have noticed as well. The prop is very noisy. <laughs> like, there's a bit where Leela's <laughs> trying to creep up on the guards, and K9's like, <laughs> you know, the engine. It, I, I think they, they must have changed it somewhere along the line because he's not that noisy later on, or they maybe they dubbed it out, I don't know, but he's he's really noisy. Isn't he? His motors and his wheels are, yeah. are so loud. Like There's no way that he could creep up on anybody. <laughs> no, and because the, the corridor whether it was purpose built or whether they were in a building somewhere it's all mm. hard flooring and hard walls and stuff so it all echoes everywhere yeah yeah so when it's like <laughs> even when his ears move it's like <laughs> yeah oh bless him they, they must have toned it down but um well he is mark no, one after all in this in this story that's true yeah he is mark one yeah, yeah yeah definitely got a bit more personality that mark one yeah i like him yeah mm. uh leela then Oh, she's she's one of my favourite things in it. Proper I think she's feisty. Really, yeah, she's yeah. really good. Yeah, I like Leela in this a lot. And there's some nice scenes because there is often this spikiness between Leela and the Doctor, Fourth Doctor, which I don't like. Because um, I was, I know Tom didn't like the character, and they often that spills over onto screen. But mm-hmm. they get split up a lot in this. Um, but there are some lovely moments between the Doctor and Leela. There's that bit where he's hypnotising the guard. But he hypnotizes Leela, which I thought was really cool. I loved that. Oh, uh, at the same time, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I really like her. I think she's. I think she's becoming one of my favorite classic companions, actually, because okay. she's so different. Um, I know she's always up for a fight, and occasionally it gets a bit too much. Um, there are a couple of scenes on this where she's like, "I'm going to fillet you," and all this, and <laughs> you know, um, some of it's good, some of it does go a little bit. You know, you think, "Yeah, okay." Well, we've had that now. Um, but I do really, really like Louise Jameson as leader. As I said, she's because she's different, because she's this savage and the doctor has to sort of tone her in sometimes. And he's warmer towards her in this story than he is earlier on. Like he he does seem to genuinely care about her when she's in danger. Um, which we don't always get, you know, sometimes the fourth doctor is just like, I'm the doctor and that is Leela. You know, he's very harsh towards her in the beginning. Um, and I think some of that was Tom rather than the doctor. And I, yeah, d- I don't yeah. like that, mm-hmm. but he seems to really be worried and concerned about Leela when she's in danger in this episode. And I really liked that. Um, I like the fact that they've seemed to have bonded a bit more. I know that Louise Jameson said that they were still quite fraught, um, the two of them even at this stage. Yeah. Uh, so they said they were, you know, the relationship wasn't that good between the two actors at this point, um, which is why apparently Robert Holmes was aware of this, wrote a lot of it that they were split up. Um, and it's her favorite story as well. It's her favorite classic yeah, story that she yeah. did, which um, surprises me. But, uh, but having reevaluated it, I actually now understand why she likes it so much. Um, but I thought it was a nice performance. I, I really do like Leela um, in this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's a, She's a, a well-needed, strong female character at this time yeah. as well. So yeah. back in the 70s, it would have still been, you know, um, um, not sort of overly sort of sexist, but it would have been, you know, very much male-orientated um, mm. sort of people making the show and also. So I think she's a much-needed um, female companion and she's really strong as well. So I really like that bit where one of the, I think... Um, I'm sure the character's name is Veet, uh, when she, that other girl in the gang in the Undercity, when she sort of tries to bully Leela and she's having none of it. You know, yeah. she gets the knife out. She's like, 
you know, try that again and and I'll fill at you and that stuff. So I think mm-hmm. I really like that stuff about Leela and um, she's just fearless to the end, really. she's Yeah, yeah but she plays, because I was going to say, she's playing the savage, so she's good when she's like just really, you know, ready to get stuck into a fight. But she does have, a, have this other side to her so she's a very rounded character which i think is down to louise jameson she brings a very you know she always wants to learn doesn't she she's yes. always interested yep. in why is you know why is canine saying that why are we doing that and and that's what i really like about it. she's not this one-dimensional like oh i'm gonna i've got a knife uh, i'm a savage you know she louise jameson really rounds up the character nicely i think with these other lovely little moments yeah um yeah. which is why as i said she's she's becoming a, a real favorite classic companion for me yeah yeah no i agree yeah and the doctor mr baker mr baker yeah um i don't know about you but i thought he was great in this story <laughs> again you can hear the surprise in my voice because i always think at this point tom's sort of losing it a little bit sometimes he just seems a bit disinterested in some of the scripts and what's going on uh towards this area didn't like the companion all that sort of stuff i mean tom's always good but there are stories where you just you can feel he's not into it um and i thought in this one he he seems really good in it um i really liked tom's performance uh he's got the you know the crazy side of the fourth doctor with the jelly babies and the humor um some of the lines he comes out with are really lovely funny lines for the fourth doctor he's really good in the serious moments um uh it seems to be playing the the character straight when it needs to be straight you know in terms of you know very serious um and i just thought yeah he's so much better than i remember in this he's really really giving a great um what's the word tempered performance yep. just just okay. basically getting the balance right of doing the comedy well and the seriousness i just thought he's, he's bang on on this one i really like him yeah no i thought he was really good as well i think it's one of those stories where because it's often overlooked and it doesn't really get viewed that well by a lot of fans a lot mm. of people just skip it like if um I, like i think a common scenario is if you want to start building up your your classic dvd collection and you're either buying just random dvds or you think right i've you know i've got all of mccoy's and i've got all of colin baker's because they're quite short and i mm. think right who's my other doctor i really like tom baker so i'm going to start getting all the tom baker dvds i would say that this one you, people generally leave until towards the end yeah, probably, last, yeah. because there are so yeah. many other good you know better stories um and it often gets overlooked and and missed out which is a shame because his performance is really really good yeah. Um and he he's sort of on it from the start really. I mean it's got the humor in there so the the opening scene with the playing chess and all that stuff and yeah. and then he's like switches really like immediately to like this sort of angry sort of you know don't disturb me doctor who's like barking at Leela, you know, shut mm. up I'm doing stuff. And he's got the compassion in there as well like he said he's really concerned about Leela. And he's sort of really concerned about the people of Pluto. He's like really quite perturbed that when they arrive on Pluto, that these fake suns are there and people are being, you know, a, you know, a, you know, driven to like working with no lives. He's like, he's like, this shouldn't be this way. You know, mm. this is not how it should be. And he's like off straight away to get it sorted out. So I think he's got it all in there in this one. And like we said, with some of the other elements, like the story in general and some other stuff, it's not going to be an instant classic when you watch it. You're not going to think crikey, you know, that's like 10 out of 10. Because there are a lot better stories in his era. However, I would say that his performance, based with some of the other casts, like you said, and how adult and mature the story is, I think this is a bit of a hidden gem. 
Uh, yeah. I would yeah. say. I, I've got to agree with you, and I'm so pleased to be able to say that. And I never in a million years thought I'd be sat here saying this. As I said, it's this has been on our schedule for a few weeks now, and I have <laughs> been dreading having to rewatch it. I genuinely have. I kept thinking, oh, no, some makers in a couple of weeks. Oh, God. Um, and I'm just really pleased i because I, I love it when this happens i love it when i don't think i'm gonna <laughs> like a story and it turns out to be one that um i really enjoyed uh but as i said it, it is a hidden gem it's not one i'm gonna reach for like pyramids or zygons it's not one i'm gonna go gravitate towards as a one to put on that often but it is one that i'm now gonna look at and think that's a good story yeah. i enjoyed that yeah. it's 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 different and and that's there's nothing wrong with that it's not a it's not a classic but it is a good um, sharp script from Robert Holmes. Uh, so I've definitely found a new appreci- appreciation for it. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I'm totally with you on that, mate. Totally yeah. with you. Um, right. Anything else you want to mention before we get onto our scores? No, no. I just, um, the only thing that I've got underlined is that it just comes back to Robert Holmes' script. You know, the stuff he puts in there, um, one of the lines I just absolutely love is when uh, um, Cordo says, no, the doctor says something <laughs> about the tax man and He's like, does everybody run from the tax man? And Corday just does this <laughs> mad nodding, like, yeah, yeah, they do. And I think, you know, that's so to the viewer because, yeah, oh, it's so course, true. Yeah. 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 And that, again, it's just little moments like that which just totally bring this story up for me. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, r- nothing else to say really apart from I'm just shocked how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Uh, right. Let's go on to scores. I think it's me to go first. Yeah. Memory serves correctly. Right. I'm going to give this a seven. And snap. <laughs> snap. <laughs> uh, I'm also giving it a seven. Um, oh, I cool. think if you'd have asked me uh, what I was going to score it last week before rewatching it, I would have said, oh, I don't know, four, five, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a seven from me. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that this is one of Tom Baker's hidden gems if you've if you've not seen it in a long time if you watched it ages ago and thought oh that was rubbish mm. um i would definitely recommend sticking it on and just just um clearing your perceptions really and your memories of of, of when you viewed it before mm. especially if you watched it like you know like where we were saying like if you watched it when you were quite young if you're an older listener if you watched it when you're quite young and you didn't really get the whole vibe of having to work hard and paying taxes and stuff and just give it a watch now so you can appreciate, you know, the whole running from the tax man. You, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have got lines like that when I was younger no. or anything like that. So, uh, yes, sevens, another snap. Seven. And I think you have to be in the right mood for it. That's one thing I would say. It. That's what I mean. I'm just not going to one I'm going to gravitate towards all the time, but it is one if I'm in the mood, I could really sit back and enjoy this again. Yes. So, yeah, yep. you have to be in the mood for it, I think. Absolutely. Uh, our lovely listeners, what did you guys think? Uh, so over on Twitter, uh, Davros, uh, Twitter name at Davros1736, said the Sunmakers. Uh, uh, it's very much an episode of its time. Uh, Tom and Louise are good, but it's not their best. Uh, the tax allegories grow dull after a while, I must say. Uh, the Target book novelization is much better. Oh, oh right. Okay. okay. Uh, and Davros gives it a four out of ten. Four, right. Yeah. Um, over on Facebook, Kevin Mullen says, uh, for all its cheapness, uh, the Sunmaker is a little is a little diamond of a story. Uh, when I was eight, the only thing I remember is being scared at the thought of being steamed to death, <laughs> and didn't understand the undertone of the story. Uh, Robert Holmes' thinly veiled attack on the attack system is a political and subversive a story the show ever produced. Uh, 
Uh, the dialogue is witty and clever, and the performances by the main cast are uniformly excellent, with special praise going to Henry Wolfe as the thoroughly nasty collector. Uh, overall, while not a classic, there is much to enjoy. 6.5 out of 10. Yeah. Praise yep. the company. <laughs> Praise the company. Um, let's do, uh, we did have an audio review in. I was very shocked that we got an audio clip in for this one. Mm. Um, uh, this is from Owen Daly. Hello, Gary and Adam. Hope you're both well and enjoying the show this week. So the Sunmakers, what an episode. I'm, I'm really happy you picked this one as I've never seen it before. So I decided, yeah, I'm just going to put this on yesterday. And I did watched it all and I loved it to bits. It was fantastic. It's a great story as it's full of satire humour and it's far from what I did expect. I thought it was just going to be another dull story that's kind of, you know, just average. But this one was brilliant. It stood out from the crowd. It's not Robert Holmes' best scripts but definitely one of his most easily watched ones. I always knew the story was Holmes having a dig at taxes at the time but I never expected it to be so obvious with the this very start of part one just being about taxes being loaded and loaded and it's so obvious that he was having a dig at the government. It's hilarious. I just I felt so sorry for Cordon those first few minutes. Uh, the characters, the characters in the story are great, especially Mandel, the the leader of the underground people. I thought he was very good, and his acting was great actually. The direction was great as well. Um, I can't remember who directed it. Is it? So I, I don't know. And the set design was superb. Tom Baker was yeah, he was he was giving a good good, good performance. But Louise Jameson was definitely the best uh, standout cast member. As I remember her telling me that this was by far her favorite story to film, which is definitely obvious on screen as she's giving her best performance. Finally, the canine chess scene is iconic and I love that the Doctor just flips board at the end as he realises he's been beaten by his dog. I think it's a really great classic Fort Doctor and I love it. And then finally, part four had that really dark but funny scene where they just get the gather and throw him down a pit. Even though it's really dark, I thought it was hilarious. This story, brilliant. 8 out of 10. Thanks for listening and I'll see you all next time. Wow. Fantastic. Cheers, Owen. That's really cool that he hadn't seen it before. Stuck it on and loved it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love it. Very cool. Thanks a lot, Owen. Uh, Sammy Satine back on Facebook says even if you live on Pluto the tax man will still get you and apparently has the power to wipe your memories and also kill you in quite horrible ways yeah. uh, so the fourth doctor or scarf man uh, Leela and K9 investigate to see if they can save the humans from the evil tax man I would admit the first time I watched this I switched it off after the first 10 minutes mm. uh, this time I got through the whole four parts it's not terrible but unfortunately I think it might be a bit average uh, I still adore the TARDIS team and you've got a love for handing out a few jelly babies. Five out of ten. Yeah, cheers, Sammy. Uh, Jeff Waddle says, Now I'm older, I can see how it's quite clever in a satirical, satirical way uh, of the whole tax system. Um, but as a nine slash ten year old, I thought it was just awful. Uh, no monsters to speak of, not much talking. And the ending of episode two where the hover car takes 10 minutes to get down the corridor was garbage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You could do a blooming crossword before it gets there. Uh, the collector bloke was okay, was an okay villain. But this is a very middle-of-the-road Tom story, six out of ten. Uh, and I don't know why the villa is there either, unless he's undercover. Uh, I, could be. I assume that's a Blake Seven reference. It is, yeah. Right, okay. Villa is the character, yeah. He's and got a point about that buggy. That is so funny. I thought that funny. as well. It takes so long, so slow. They're, they're really trying not to run after it as well, aren't they? They're like, <laughs> let's run really slowly so we don't catch it. Yeah. And lastly on Facebook, um, Maria Kalatichow. I think I'm saying that right. I always 
Oh, I don't know. Uh, quite enjoyable story with Robert Holmes on good form in a biting satire on the tax man. Some people may say it looks cheap, but I like the utilitarian 1970s look. Uh, it suits the tone of the story. Nice ideas, chemical submission, death or taxes, working for profit. Uh, I noticed a cheeky shot of Leela going up a ladder and I can't believe they got away with that costume. I noticed that as well, actually, and a, the bit where they come out of the steam room. I was thinking Tom was behind her in that scene. Yeah, very um, daring. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom is on good form, and uh, as is Louise, uh, Tom physically dominates a scene, and I love that. Uh, K9 has his own little personality too. Yeah, he does. Uh, so that was it on the official Facebook page. Anything over at Geeks? Yeah, yeah, I had a couple, yeah. So um, Mark Daniel Mooney says uh, it's not top draw. <laughs> Tom Baker, but it's quite fun, better than Underworld, Megalos, Invisible Enemy, etc. He says, um, "Yeah, there's a couple in that list we haven't done yet, so we'll we'll see." Mark, uh, Adam Time Lord Fishwick says, uh, "I really don't. Un- no, sorry, I really enjoy it. I don't understand why some people don't like it." Hmm. Now, Lord, well, hmm. yeah, Patrick Sherwood, uh, I don't mind the story. It's okay, not the best. Um, the great, the doctor is great as always. So he's going to give it an eight point five. Oh, so quite a high score from Patrick. Cool, cool. Jace Howell says, uh, "Ooh, this is one of those stories that never seems to get much said about it." I have to say that I really enjoy it. Tom is masterful in it. Louise is just great. Guest star appearance by the wonderful Michael Keaton, best known as Villa in Blake Seven. Written by Robert Holmes, directed by Robert Pennant. So already it's off to a great start. True, it's not the best story ever, but it's far from being a turkey. <laughs> Entertaining and puts across <laughs> a good mor- moral, as do most Bob Holmes stories. Yeah, that's very true, Jace. And finally, uh, Charlie Turner says, from what I've seen of it, it's pretty bad. One of my least favourite from the Tom Baker era. Sorry, Louise Jameson, I love your character of Leela, and I respect your opinion that it's your favourite story. But for me, this story is horrible. <laughs> oh. But I've seen worse stories than this, but I'm gonna. he's going to give it... A three out of ten. So a very low school from Charlie there. Yeah. So mixed bag. But you know what? I'm pleased that um, most of them are positive. Um, I was not expecting that at all. I was not expecting it. I thought this was going to get slayed. And uh, (laughs) as I said, I thought I was going to be one of the ones slaying it. So, yeah. So it is a bit of a overlooked hidden gem, I think. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Rightio, that was um, the Sunmakers. Thank you very much for your thoughts and reviews on that. Next week, yeah, we're going 10 years back to 2007 when this story was first out. So, buddy, next week, what have we got? Sorry, I'm just in shock. 10 years since this aired. Limonek. Yes. Well, it's, uh, we're going to, yes, yeah, the 10th Doctor story next week, and it is Gridlock. Ah. Gridlock. I cannot believe that's, is that's 10 years ago. <gasps> Indeedy. Yeah. I can remember watching that. Okay, so yeah, Gridlock next week. Um, Gary will put the face of post up, as will I. Give us your views on that one. Yeah, a bit of Tenth Doctor action. Mm. Yes. Uh, right, I think we're going to do there for one, three, four. Okay. Thank you, fans, for joining us for 134 and going through episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Gridlock next week. I'll be honest with you, it's one of the um, tenant stories that I don't really watch too often. 
Ah. And I don't really have a reason for that. I just, yeah. Just That's interesting, because hmm. I don't know why I thought it was one of your favourites. I don't know why I thought that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't. Honest, I don't know how I feel about it, which is good. Oh, okay. Because um, yeah. I have a feeling it's one that's rated very highly, and... I don't know. I'm looking forward to giving it a rewatch. Let's put it that way. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know why, actually. Yeah, I just haven't really... I must have seen it like twice, I think. Three times, maybe. Uh, So, yeah, look out for the Facebook post and Twitter and stuff uh, early next week where we're asking you for your thoughts and feelings on Gridlock. So grab your DVDs, your Blu-rays, whatever format you've got it on. Uh, Dare I say it, a digital format from the BBC store, maybe. Good Lord. Uh, So get that on because we need your need your thoughts on that one. Uh, head over to the website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of the previous episodes on there, plus you can link off to the social stuffs and give us a like and a follow on there. Um, if you want to subscribe to the show, best place for that is iTunes. Just open up iTunes or whatever podcast app you guys are into and just do a search for the Big Blue Box Podcast and we should be on there. And if you are an iTunes listener, if you could give us a review and a rating, that would be awesome because that helps us out loads. Uh, remember to check out Adam's channel, The Geek's Handbag. Just do a search for The Geek's Handbag on YouTube. Yeah. And you're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that jazz. Oh, I'm everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> uh, some cracking videos from Adam. Um, uh, the, one of the recent ones, the unboxing of the, um, the TARDIS console. Yeah. was really in-depth, mate. I really enjoyed that video. Loads oh, of thank good you. camera angles and explanation. It was really good. Yeah, it took a while to get it edited, but uh, yeah, glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really cool. So check out the Geek's Handbag. Always loads of good stuff on there. Uh, right, we're going to leave you now. Uh, have a cracking weekend, cracking week, and we will see you next week for 135. Mm. Until then, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Uh... Uh...